Hello, this is Amelia Lopez, and uh, welcome to 11 O'Clock Comics. You hit the high right off the bat. And we're down. Who says you don't contribute? They're crazy. Anybody who listens after that says they don't contribute. <laughs> I, I love reading the iTunes reviews. David's really smart. He knows a lot about us. comics and stuff. But he doesn't really talk all that much. Yeah, I don't know how old those fucking reviews are. You should talk more because I enjoy it. That's all I care about. Week, the <laughs> nice. That's great. And Jason's Lily White. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got a kick out of that holy white. Not from the waist down, bitches. Right. Who the fuck is calling me from Virginia? Stop. That, yeah, that's not, dude. Silence that shit. I am. I, dude, okay, how long have you been here? Tell John Carroll to call you back. No, you didn't. The call's coming from inside the house, dude. That's David. nuts, dude. See? Now, that's just. Alright, I owe you, bro. That's cool. Watch your back. Watch your back. <laughs> Oh, uh, snap. <laughs> I'm giddy. I'll tell you what, man. I, I, I missed you guys last week and I'm, I missed raving about Guardians of the Galaxy with you. Well, you can do so this Jim, week. Jim, did you see the movie? I did. What'd you I don't think? see a lot of superhero movies either, but, uh, I, I saw that one and I liked it quite a bit. Excellent. Nice. Nice. Well, let's, shh, shh, let's, let's, I know. Keep let's talk about letting the cat out of the bag. Really? I got the perfect intro song. Well, not the perfect one, but it's very suitable. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Is it the theme song from Dolomite? It's close. Nice. It's, come on, uh, dude. I know who I'm dealing with here. Ah, and you do, too, because you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics, <laughs> episode 329, and I'm Vince B. You are Vince B. I'm David A. Price. You are indeed David A. Price, and I am straight out of Compton. Ah. It's crazy yet. Smother your mother. I really can't disagree with that. When you are straight out of Compton. <laughs> you know where Compton and you're, 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 huh? You know where Compton is, Vince? I do. Okay. You are Jason Wood, everybody. Well, uh, Somebody else breathing up there. That, Jason. That is true. That is true. And I have been given the honor of introducing our, our, uh, our, our special guest who's going to sit in the fourth chair this week. No, it's not. It's not Chris Neesman. It's not. He's uh, he's still on on uh, sabbatical. Uh, it is uh, straight from the metropolis of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. By the way, we should have a rule that we can't have more than one Pennsylvanian on the podcast at once. We're gonna have to rethink this. Um, w- Too much sex in one room. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It, one of certainly um, those of you that have listened to the show for a long time, you know this man is is a personal favorite of ours. Uh, his one work in particular is, uh, easily one of the top, top comic book, uh, pieces of, of, of entertainment I've ever had the pleasure to enjoy. Uh, um, of, yeah, of all time, absolutely. He is, uh, in fact, the avatar of said character is, is my icon on about 90 different websites in lieu of my, uh, handsome face. Uh, he is a, a gentleman who has, uh, I, I think as we talk to him tonight, Hopefully you all will get a sense of, uh, he is really more of a fine artist in the sense that he plays with tons of different mediums, uh, and, uh, is certainly not limited to any particular type of illustrating style. Uh, our friend, 
and a creator of such awesome works as Aphrodisiac, The Plain Janes, uh, and then I think what we'll be talking about a lot tonight, Street Angel, none other than Mr. Jim Rogue. Welcome, Jim. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Great to be here. Absolutely. It's, it's only been about five years in the making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's you guys, I always say, have sold more of my books than anyone else, so I, I am very grateful. Thanks. We'd love to hear that. Mm-hmm. And you know where they probably got all those books <laughs> from our damn from our damn sponsor, oh, yeah. DCBS Discount Comic Book Service, where you can get your comic books and get them so cheap you cannot believe it. Take a gander. Well, don't take a gander. Listen to this because we are on a podcast from Fanographics. It's the Hip Hop Family Tree graphic novel box set, 1975 to 1983, two volumes plus the uh, foil embossed ash can. The cover price on this bad boy set is $59.99. Still worth it, but that's not what you're going to pay. You can get it at DCBS for, Jason? I don't know. $29.99. That's half oh, off. Oh, nice. Where there you else go. are you going to get that cheap? Nowhere else. I'll go through these quickly. From Image, Nailbiter, Volume 1, The Trade, cover price $9.99. Your price Four ninety nine, 50% off. The Athena Voltaire compendium is coming off from Dark Horse from our buddy Steve Bryant. It's a huge honk and hardcover. Everything Athena Voltaire co- cover price $19.99, which is very respectable. Your price $9.99. And from Oni, from our buddies Cullen Bunn and Brian Chirilla, it's Hellbreak number one. Cover price, a dollar. They're going to float this through. Make it as effortless as possible for you to try this first issue. Cover price is a dollar. You can get it for two bits at DCBS. Amazing. And what else is DCBS doing this uh, month, Jason? Well, DCBS and their sister site, In Stock Trades, are moving to Memphis, Tennessee. Which, uh, Tennessee. Tennessee. Uh, but yes, so, um, InStock, uh, is the, is the, we, we don't talk about InStock as much, but we probably should. It is the sister site of DCB service where you can, as you might imagine from the name, uh, acquire all measure of collected editions on the super cheap. And, um, over the last year or so, our friends, the Merklers have really been expanding their business. Uh, they bought, uh, acquired mail order comics. They acquired, uh, Tales of Wonder. And as a result of this, they have decided for many, many reasons, which are explained on the site if you're, if you're ultimately interested, uh, to double up and they're going to have a, a major location in Memphis and they're going to be keeping their new location, uh, in Indiana as well. Um, but as they prep for the big move, they want to clear out some inventory. Uh, and so they're having a in-stock trades moving sale. So if you go to instocktrades.com backslash moving, You'll see all the details, but there are Wumba discounts on all sorts of greatness, including, I believe it's almost 50% off ad house books this week. Uh, Whoa. Yeah. So I think it's 48% because it's 40 and then they added an extra 8% for the sale. So there are, uh, it, the, the sale ranges from Dark Horse all the way to things like Yen Press to Oni to IDW to Dynamite. So pretty much anything other than Marvel and DC which are already always discounted 40% plus, uh, you'll be able to get sweetness sales uh, this week. So give it a That's whirl. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I still need to get B&F. I, I haven't bought that yet. Like, what the hell is wrong with me? Maybe the time to get it now. Fat House books are close to 50% off. might be, off. sir. 
And uh, nice. happy birthday, Cameron. Yeah. That is true. Yep. And do not forget Scotty Young's Daily Grind, that beautiful, beautiful sketchbook, 100 pages, collecting some of Scotty's favorite daily sketches over the past few years. He should be years. selling out pretty soon. I mean, the way right. we he's only got... He only has like two left. So if you want to be one of those, whatever, uh, get in there. There's only a thousand of them printed way low and, uh, $30 will get it home to you. Scotty Young store dot big cartel dot com. That's there right. You go. And, uh, I believe BNF hardcover right now is regularly 1995. Your price, twelve and a half dollars. Respect. Yeah. I can mm-hmm. handle that. And yes, I'll probably sir. take a bunch of other stuff home as well. Nice. All right. Welcome, Jim. Sorry for that long-winded intro. Oh, no, that's great. Jason gets talky. I was going to ask, have any of you guys picked up the Hip Hop Family Tree box set? Have you seen the ash can that you mentioned? It's uh, foil uh, embossed, right? And isn't it Liefeld art? It's no, it's it's sort of uh, an homage to Liefeld art. And it's, you know, Liefeld's connection to the hip hop, basically the hip hop history that Ed is chronicling intersects with Liefeld in the early days of image in a couple of interesting ways. And so the ash can covers those intersections and it's drawn in a style that's definitely an homage to Liefeld, uh, you know, of that era. But right. he nailed that the ash can is one of the coolest things I've seen somebody produce. If you remember wizard magazine and hero magazine, they would often oh, yeah. include like smaller, usually glossy ash cans, you know, it'd be like a preview of a new series or something. And, uh, and that's kind of the format that he went for and just nails it. It's, it's pretty amazing. 30 bucks for that box set is hard, hard to believe. It's ridiculous. It is. It's, it's silly. I still have, speaking of Hero Magazine, I still have the Mike Allred one, the, the Madman Ashcan that was foiled embossed. Um, and there, I think there was a, there was a Matt Wagner one too, wasn't there, David? There's a Batman Grendel crossover that right. Wagner did. I have like right. a box of these things because they're a little <laughs> bit odd. So that tends to be what I collect. Like when Ed was working on it, I, I lent him like 50 of them. <laughs> You're a scholar. Yeah. <laughs> I'm torn because I pre-ordered – I already have the first ver- volume of Hip Hop Family Tree and I pre-ordered the second. So now I feel like I got a little bit chipped because – I don't want to double dip and buy the box set, but I want the I want the slipcase and I want the issue number three hundred. Well, here's what you do: just just regift that first volume in the Christmas exchange. It's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good. Well, that's actually a very good idea. I'm honest. I acquired about ten copies of Aphrodisiac to gift over the years. I that's bought. I, I just care. I bought a bunch. Yeah, that's true. That's crazy, dude. <laughs> That's the it's the gift that keeps on giving, yeah, man. Sure. And you know, I you you as you were introducing Jim, and um, speaking to his artistic accomplishments, and I got to say, I'm amazed at how easily you can switch it up, style wise. I know it's and crazy. Do like, do like a Dan Klaus thing here, and then tighten it up and do super illustrative, like the the cover of uh, Sleazy Slice. That you did with with the the blowjob in the bathroom, I love oh, that cover, yes, dude. I yes. love it. But but another thing that I I think that is equally um, devastating to me is your sense of humor. You you have this weird. It, it it's like almost a pathogenic sense of humor where you, it sinks in, and like days later, I'll think about the ninja that lost his swipe card, and I'll just be uh. like giggling like an idiot. <laughs> 
Yeah, you're a very funny dude. <laughs> Thanks. I, you know, some of that credit should definitely go to my co-writer, Brian. Uh, okay. He's far funnier than I am. He might be uh, the better and... podcast guest with that in mind. Oh, well, did you get him? <laughs> I just... Yeah, can you uh, ring him up? <laughs> and and even today, I'm walking around the building, and I'm just thinking, how stupid is Cosmic? But it, it, it's so funny, and it makes so much sense. Like, Ireland's first man in space would be called Cosmic. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've always thought that Maruka was uh, was just a, a pen name for your write for your writing efforts because I know you always talk about him as though he's a real person, but I've I've spoken and seen you, and I've never seen hide nor hair, or even photographic evidence of Maruka's existence. Yeah, he's a little he's a little J.D. Salinger, a little re- reclusive in his nature, but I assure you, he's real. I'm not sure why anyone would think I would make make up a writing partner. You know, <laughs> maybe if things didn't work out, I could blame him. But, uh, you know what you should do? You should do like a Ben Mara thing, like take a picture with some different dude every time and say like Jim Rugg and Brian Maruka and then another dude will be in another picture and be like, that's not the same guy. Oh, no, but that's him. You know, it'll be like a who is this Brian Maruka guy? What does he look like? Yeah, he's just not as uh, plugged into comics culture. So, you know, he doesn't do a lot of comic book shows. He has done some, but he's he's just not that active in the comics community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, one thing well, I was going to say, one thing about you is that is that uh, and we discussed this at Heroes where we uh, we finally had the chance to, to meet face to face. I mean, you definitely uh, you cross over, right? I mean, you, you you do some comic shows, but you're definitely your interests uh, and, uh, also your pursuits are far more eclectic than that. Like I've, you do art shows, uh, a lot. So, I mean, um, how, how did you, I don't think I've ever asked you, how did you end up getting into the comics? I mean, I, I presume you were a pretty big fan of, of, of mainstream comics at some point in your childhood and that kind of evolved or, or am I wrong there? No, that's exactly right. You know, I'm probably older than, than you guys. And uh, whenever I started, you know, it was pre-internet whenever I started reading comics. And so the mainstream stuff was the main stuff that I had access to, like Marvel, DC. You know, I bought them off of the one newsstand in my tiny town. So it was pretty limited at first. And I loved that stuff. The Marvel, you know, that was whenever McFarlane was doing Spider-Man and Jim Lee was doing X-Men and and Liefeld was on X-Force and New Mutants. And, you know, I loved those comics. And then as I got older, I started – finding more alternative stuff like Dan Clowes and Chester Brown and Julie Doucette. And when I started making comics, then I started finding mini comics. And that was kind of like the last missing piece that I needed to, you know, to go forward. So, yeah, you know, I, I think that was the traditional path of comic book fans and creators circa 15 to 20 years ago. And now, I mean, people come to comics from every direction, you know, from anime and manga and video games and Tumblr and, you know, you name it, people are starting to make comics from these alternative sources. But, uh, yeah, you're, you're spot on as far as the mainstream influence. Mm-hmm. You're in a nice, uh, a really um, enviable sweet spot because, <laughs> no, you've managed to earn the accolades of the comics journal crowd and still stay true to the stuff that got you there. Like, obviously, you love the mainstream stuff. And, and you got to know that some of those guys, the fact that you embrace the, 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 the mainstream in your work and, and they love you, but you got to know that that grates on some of those journal guys. <laughs> you, you know, like Sholi and Piscor, you guys are the, the indie darlings now. 
for for a, a, a big group of people and i mean i don't know you know how they can get right um if it's superhero it's bad and it's it should be ostracized but you guys don't play that game it's 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 very on the table like yeah we love that stuff and i'm just thinking reluctant i'm sure there's a couple of those guys over there that reluctantly these guys are so awesome i gotta love them but man that superhero stuff i just don't get it yeah, How do you- it's a, it's a lot of fun. Like we've gotten to know Gary Groff and and worked with him some, and it is funny, you know. Like Rob Life, the idea that Gary Groff is publishing, you know, from Fanographics is publishing Ed's Rob Life out homage is right. just we, we do get a kick out of that because it's so ironic. Right? I can't imagine. Yeah, I think Rob, I think Rob Liefeld is actually doing a pinup in uh, maybe Hip Hop Family Tree Volume Three. And if that's the case, it's like now Gary Groth is publishing Rob Liefeld, which awesome. <laughs> has to be uh, has to be kind of a funny conversation. At least in my head, it is. That's but fantastic. They, they pick their mainstream guys to love. Like there was always an appreciation in the journal for Gil Kane and Jack Kirby. So they they didn't completely blanket the genre and say, oh, it all sucks. There, Groth had his favorites, uh, and they were okay. But uh, now, so now you seem to be the new. Um, uh, Kirby and, 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 uh, that, of that ilk at, at Fanographics. That's great. I, I love that. That is so good. Because you're not compromising anything. You're just going in. Yeah, this is me. And this is what I do. And take me or leave me. You know, I think Respect. comics in general have gone in that direction. You know, I, I would love to take credit for this, but it's, it's not us. You know, um, Dan Nadell and, and, uh, Tim Hodler and Frank Santoro sort of championed the inclusion of all of the genre material when they started Comics Comics. And then, right. you know, they went on to take over the online comics journal presence. And I, I think that people are very accepting of different work now. I think those boundaries just aren't what they used to be. And part of it is that those boundaries have been filled in now. You know, it used to be there there was a little bit of manga and there were like alternative comics and there was Marvel DC kind of stuff and maybe Archie. But in the last 20 years, like you can just draw dots between like all of these different artists and art styles and who's influenced by who, you know, once you add like internet comics to the mix, there just aren't gaps like there used to be, you know, like these distinctive camps no longer mm-hmm. have clear boundaries. Right. Right. So. Do, are you familiar with trouser press, the, the music magazine? No, I'm not. Well, they, there used to be a dude in there that would do these family trees of, of music. Yeah. And, and, and you, and he would, you would be able to see the crossover between like groups that you never would think would, would commingle. And, and I think that's kind of like what's going on now in comics. Like you get the genres, they're, you know, they're sleeping together and it's working out really well. Yeah. I think that's a hundred percent true. Yeah. And Frank's a madman. <laughs> He's so smart, so educated. So, I mean, he, the guy's pushing the grid. You never hear comics artists, put, you know, talking about the grid. And, and, Fra- but you look at Frank and it's just like you expect like, Hey, dude, what's up? And that's not what you get with him. He's so brainy. And uh, I love that guy. Yeah. I think comics are lucky to have him. Right. Exactly. Yep. And he brings that art background as well. You know, he spent 10 years in sort of the fine art world painting. So his perspective on comics is informed by, you know, things outside of the typical comic canon. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, I think that has a positive effect within the industry. People who gravitate towards his work are then exposed to these ideas that you might not find, you know, in a, in a typical comic shop on a Wednesday afternoon. And I, I think the industry and the art form are both better for it. 
Right. So sad to see Picture Box go. They they were my oasis. Yeah, I really loved a lot of the work they published and and the way they approached comics. But I look at all of this stuff as like we're so lucky to have had them. You know, like they were around right. for what ten years or something. Some of my favorite comics were published by them. Um, you know, I wish they were still around, but I'm just glad they were around at all. Yep. Yeah. My wife is glad they're not around anymore because <laughs> yeah. you know. When the credit card statement came in, she didn't, she doesn't have to yell at me now. You but did yeah. love the picture book. Oh, I, I I couldn't say no. Well, I mean, here we are talking about picture box and we're talking about uh, you know, the journal and stuff. But but I think it's only fair and natural to uh, to segue a little bit and talk about Ad House because that's sure. really the the link. Um, you know, Chris Pitzer and and who's another friend and and very kind to the show. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's his discerning eye and, and, uh, ability to find, uh, you know, talent like, uh, like Jim's and, uh, like Box Brown and, and, and like Tom that, that I, I certainly, I think Ad House was my publisher of the year, what, maybe two, three years ago. And, uh, I just think the stuff that, that Chris does is, is right up there with the very best in terms of the quality versus the, 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 uh, he's definitely the definition of, 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 you know, quality over quantity. So, I mean, Jim, mm-hmm. how did you get to know Chris and, and, and what was the path to getting your stuff, you know, base stationed there? Yeah, I met him just through small, doing small press shows, you know, years ago. And, um, he was doing a number of themed anthologies like, uh, Project Hellstar. It was all anthology based on robots and space. And then he mm-hmm. did one called Project Superior and it was right after Street Angel, the first issue was published. And he contacted me to see if I wanted to be in there. And the theme for Project Superior was superheroes. And it ended up, um, I ended up doing an aphrodisiac story, which was like my first color comic. And that's basically how we started working together. And, you know, cut to years later, whenever I had an aphrodisiac graphic novel pretty much formulated and I needed a publisher and, you know, we kept in touch, like we became friends. And so he knew what was going on and he had seen some of it and, you know, our, our collaboration just kind of grew organically out of, out of our friendship, really, and a, an awareness of one another's work and an admiration for one another's work. I think of him as a collaborator. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Have you seen what Project Superior goes for on the secondary market these days? No, I haven't. You can get a pretty penny for it. Yeah. Mm. I'm glad I have a copy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool book. I really like how that book turned out. And it's, oh, yeah. Because of the way it's put together with so many creators, it's never going to be reprinted, you know. Right. So, yeah, it's a nice book. But anyway, you know, I'm I'm into printed matter. I like books. Uh, Chris at Ad House is also interested in that stuff. I recently visited his his new home, and just looking at his bookshelves, like he has books that are just well designed books. Like they may not be real, you know, topical at all. It's just that he came across this book that he thought was well printed, or a color was good, or you know, some element caught his eye. And you look at this stuff and if you're into books like I am, it just, it just resonates. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been awesome working with him. I assume you're a big fan of, of Chip Kidd. I am. Yes. Yeah. Cause, cause when I think when, when people start talking about the design of books, I can't help but my mind exactly. jumps right to him. Yeah. yeah. Another one is, uh, McSweeney's. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I, I have a ton of McSweeney's on my shelf and I've only read about half of them, but. <laughs> They just the the production uh, values that go into those things are so high, and so they 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 take so much um, 
pride with their work and it's it's just amazing and i can't say no to those guys either it's just you could tell a lot about somebody from the stuff that's on their bookshelves absolutely yeah i think people play games whenever someone's coming to visit and rearrange (laughs) bookshelves and things i've known people that have done that really i would think if if you have the time to do that that's kind of sad but okay (laughs) yeah uh vince vince (laughs) does that though no man my bookshelves come on (laughs) That's just I, he I, just does it to hide the tentacle porn before the in-laws come over. That's up front. That's right where I can get it. It's right on the, <laughs> next to the door, next to the cinema sewer books. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so ballpoint pen, USOB. Oh, so, what you can yeah, do with right? a ballpoint pen, it's ridiculous. It I think one one day you tweeted, or uh, yeah, because I wasn't on the Facebook then. You tweeted it was just a dialog box from I think Photoshop. And and you you carefully rendered all the colored uh, balls in the upper corner and the whole menu and it's just like son of a bitch like the uh, just words fail like wh- n- number one were you just like zoning out getting into that zen space where you just you were just rendering and what made you think to do a dialogue box how many bics did you go through <laughs> I have a shoebox full of all kinds of colored pens um. I, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, they, they've been well received and I do kind of zone out. They are a very zen-like activity. Um, as you can imagine, filling in any amount of space with a ballpoint pen takes a long time. <laughs> um, so it is kind of a, it's, it's a different way to draw for me. And I think that's part of why it appeals to me. Whenever I first started doing it, it was just like, I don't know. I kind of remembered enjoying drawing with pens when I was a kid and I had this idea to try to do some drawings with it. And it's a very, enjoyable process so yeah we're planning to do another volume of ballpoint pen drawings um later this this fall that will hopefully debut at cab in brooklyn nice and another thing about the those early ballpoint pen drawings was um i like the fact that you don't seem to waste anything because some of those made it in no that made it into the super mag yeah, which was awesome to see. And you were working the the process color in there, and I'm thinking this this guy gets it. He he knows because prior to that, the only thing that I saw was the the ad house, like the aphrodisiac and the, the project superior. But when the when the super mag came out, that really laid it all out because it was such a wide swath swatch swath yeah of of styles in there, and and you just you embraced the printing process. And I just thought to myself, this this man gets it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely, you know, like my background is in print. So, you know, you kind of have to use what you can and, and what you know. And it's interesting that printing has gotten cheaper, even though fewer people are, are printing. Well, I don't know if fewer pre- people are printing, but it seems like there are alternatives now to print. But at the same time, like what we have access to in terms of printing, um, you know, cost, precision, all of these things have are so much better than they were like whenever I started doing this 15 years ago. Right. Um, so it's, is, is it's that kind because of amazing. China or is it just because of technology or I think it's a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Um, we print a lot in China and in South in, in uh, Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. And it's remarkable to me that they can, you know, their, their pricing is so low. Like you figure you're paying for the printing and you're shipping it halfway around the world. And they still are, you know, a fraction of what it would cost to print locally. Um, but I do think the technology is, you know, is the big thing. Like we have such precision now with between digital output and, you know, working digitally and being able to create the actual files that are going to the press that like we can do almost anything now with this technology. It's kind of remarkable. 
Yeah. There's, how many hours do we save skipping the whole paste up and the and the rubolith cutting <laughs> and the and the waxing? I mean, you have no it, idea. Like that it stuff took a long is time. Just, yeah, it's 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 not like a ten percent increase. It's like a thousand percent. Right. No, you're exactly right. Yeah. I have the wax burns to, to, it's like the guy in Jaws with the shark bites and stuff. I have, I have the wax burns to, to prove I went through that hell. <laughs> yeah. It was not a fun time. Do you do design? But, um, yeah. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> Want to go down that road? Don't get me started. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's talk about something we love, like comics. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, I just finished the Street Angel again. I read it again because remember when I said I'm gonna, you know, spend a whole weekend with, with Jim Rugg and, and the Street Angel. I read it once, read it again, and it just seems to get better the second time because there's so many, um, funny bits and just like things that I didn't notice the first time around. Like the thing that really struck me is the, the battle with the ninjas. You have, um, her fighting the ninjas in complete dark light, darkness, right? And the only thing that's holding the ninjas, defining the form of the ninjas is a white line around them. I thought that was brilliant. I don't think I've ever seen that before. I mean, Miller used ninjas, but the background was always like either a standard background or grays or something, but you had a completely black background and the ninjas, of course, are dressed in black and, and the, the only thing that would delineate them would be that white line. I'm thinking that is damn smart. And it looks so nice on the page. It Thanks so much. Yeah, I mean, well, especially contrasted against uh, against uh, Jesse because right. She, well, she was yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great to hear you say that. I I always think that fight scenes kind of define the superhero genre. So you you know, if a fight scene stands out to you, um, I feel like that's a good sign, you know, for the book and and the cartooning in the book. Well, it's interesting because I've I've seen on our forums and I would imagine on the internet more broadly, a lot of people are mistakenly assuming that Street Angel is a follow up to Aphrodisiac because you just released the hardcover <laughs> and the and the kick ass slipcase that holds them both, um, which I'm sitting here looking at. But but I mean, as we know, you made this uh, nearly a decade ago, if I'm not mistaken, right? I mean, at least That's started right. then. Yeah. And uh, I know you sent me a copy a few years ago of uh, of of a uh, of a soft cover version of this. So I had I had read it before, but um, was this your was this some of your earliest published work? Absolutely, yeah, it it is my earliest published work. Okay, I think I had done a couple of small anthology pieces that that may have popped up before that, but I mean, you know, it's really my first published work. And did you, I didn't compare the volumes uh, against each other? Did you do anything in terms of the the the, the core stuff? I assume what we see here is what we saw then, or did you do any kind of post-production uh, stuff? Well, the art's a little bit bigger, so I went through all of my files to, you know, basically create new files for this edition. Uh, in some cases, I rescanned a few things. Um, there are some stories that were done after that first trade paperback that are mm-hmm, in the new sure. edition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't redraw anything, and you know, I didn't want to change the art. Like if you go in and start. You know, I would do almost everything differently now um, <laughs> just because you change in 10 years. You know, I mean, hopefully I know a lot more now than I did then. And part of the, you know, whether the work is successful or not is based on what the work is, which is, you know, my first published work. Um, so, you know, I was reluctant to do any real major changes. But I did try to, you know, like I did go through all of the artwork to basically try to create the best edition I can possibly create of that material. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I'm glad. I, I, I don't think any of us, I know David cringes when he thinks of, uh, Neil Adams and <laughs> some of the, the re, the redos that he, he's done over the years. So I, I, I'd much rather see it in its original form too. So. Yeah. It does seem like work suffers when people start tampering with older work, right? I mean, like, that's like Star Wars. And, and it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's also night and day because you've, you, you've grown so much in, in your style that if, if you take, you know, a, if you redraw a head or a face the way you draw now and put it on a body that you drew over two decades ago, it just, it, it, it's like plastic surgery. It's Botox. It's just, it doesn't look good. It, and it, um, and I mean, I know, and I, and I get, I, you know, I, I get on Vince all the time because he talks about how great Batman Odyssey was and I can't wait, you know, in, in, in another five years when, 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 when Neil redoes everybody's faces and, and, and republishes it, but it's, I, I, I look at Street Angel and I, and, and I, it takes me forever to get through it because I'll, I'll stop and, and just stare at the pages and, and for, you have the, the, the spread with, uh, Hero Time where, 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 where she disarms the, the cat and, but I mean, I'm looking at, I'm looking at all the lines with, with, with the motion and all the lines in the shading on the guns. But it, Jesse's hair, it has detail in it, but the cowboy's face really, you know, it just has enough lines where you know exactly what he's experiencing. Jesse's shirt has, you know, the folds. You, I, I love your line work. You just, you, uh-huh. the, the way you just know how much, and then, I mean, cause the, 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 the pages before it, the background with all the wood paneling, you have all the detail. In the wood, but if if homie's wearing a white T-shirt, that's what you see. There's no need to, to noodle around with it. You don't need tons right. of folding or just it. It looks. I, I yeah no. I mean your your work just pops on the page. It's it's amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, I like the black and white work. Um, whenever I started reading indie comics, I can remember a handful of artists talking about the virtues of black and white work. Uh, guys like Mark Schultz from Xenozoic Tales, mm-hmm. um, like Steve Bissett's Tyrant. There were just a lot of these black and white comics that looked amazing. And, you know, I'd read interviews with the guys and you'd realize like you can do almost, you know, there are things you can do in black and white more effectively than in color. And so, yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that. One of my favorite uh, pages uh, and up until this point in the book, you established a precedent where each one of these little stories would have a title. So I'm going into this this Krigmore, the the one with the demon, the, the story, and the the page where she flies out the window, and I'm seeing that in slow motion as I'm reading it, and then she hits the car. I'm thinking, what? There's no title to this one. There's there's got to be a title. He he did them for all the other ones, and when you look, there is a title, and it's all in the shards of her flying out of the window, the street to hell, <laughs> and and I'm thinking it's that. Bastard, he's so subtle, and you—it's—it's it's there. I mean, and then once you see it, it pops. But as you're as you're examining the detail, you're thinking, why is there letters flying? Oh, I get it. That's and so. And then I piece in the letters together, and you just—it's it, a good way to pull somebody in, not only to to get them to linger on a panel, because you know how long it takes people, the average person, yeah. to to pour through a comic book. I mean, they're you know what they're done 15, 20 minutes, if, if that. that. But, but this, what you did with those letters and, you know, they're all in different, 
perspectives like they're tumbling in space you didn't just plop letters down there you you did them all in their own little perspectives it's awesome it's a beautiful page and and you're you're sneaky (laughs) is what what i'm saying it is I love lettering, man. You know, it's, it's part of my background as a designer, but I just, I like letter forms. So I like to integrate them into the artwork and a lot of cartoonists do that, you know, all the way back yeah, to Will I, Eisner. Yeah. Like, yeah it's, yeah, it's one of the things I really enjoy about comics. And I think sometimes you lose it with, with the computer lettering. Um, I don't think digital lettering is bad, but I, I do think sometimes it's not considered, you know, as part of the page or part of the design or the storytelling mm-hmm. and, I don't know. I, I, I'm very insecure, so I feel like I need to use every trick I can possibly come up with, and uh, that includes lettering. So, right. I I would love to see someone stumble and fall hand lettering, then resort to a digital font. True. Like um, at first, one of my favorite cartoonists, Josh Bayer. I'm looking at his lettering, and I'm thinking this guy's just throwing it down. He's just writing. But after a while, that that style, his unique style of writing actually becomes a trademark of his, of his style. And you expect to see that after a while. And now if someone slapped digital uh, fonts on a Josh Bayer strip, it would look totally wrong to me. I need to see that, that, that scratchy Bayer hand lettering. And it, it's, I, like I said, I would much rather see the warts and all attempt to try and letter because there's a personality behind it. Whereas in digital stuff, the average font, it's kind of soulless. I mean, you have your good ones, but there there are far more bad fonts than good out there. Yeah, I think I I agree with that. I also think uh, you you see more of that in in, um, creator-owned or indie comics because it can be inexpensive to do digital. Right, right. right. Um, But then you go back to the black and and white boom of the, the... the uh, late 80s right and you look at some of those books and the lettering is atrocious yeah. but i love it and and i would much rather see that than than your canned fonts yeah and i gotta say while i still have the mic the page the page after that spread where she's in a stupor because she's she's all out of sorts because she fell from the into the car and everything that's my single favorite page of that book oh man with the blur with, with all the, the double visions with the double yeah. vision of, the staggered lines and the cross hatching that stuff. page. I love that page. That's good to hear. That that's a tough, that was a difficult page to draw. Um, but you know, I oh, do you, like uh, I, I draw 3D drawings now, and it's very similar to the way that page is constructed because I you know to to draw a 3D drawing you're drawing like the same image twice, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's essentially what is on that page. So like that's probably my earliest attempt at that kind of effect. Is there a formula to stagger the 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 second color for 3D like or is or are you just like eyeing it up as you're going along? Um I typically eye it up and whenever things don't work you learn from it for the next drawing especially if it's you know like these notebook drawings uh you can't really fix fix the ballpoint pen drawings unfortunately. Right. Um patterns work really well with 3D drawings. Mm-hmm. Um so you would preview the the drawing with glasses as you're doing it? Yes. Oh man, <laughs> it's like a mad scientist. I love that. So, so how, how, um, do you, is, do you do rough layouts when you're doing your, your pages? Do you finish, do you draw most of it in ink or, or how tight are your pencils? Are you just, what, what's your approach to the page? 
Yeah, it varies. I definitely do page roughs and, you know, very, very rough thumbnails. Whenever I did Street Angel, we write a very tight script and, um, I didn't do breakdowns for Street Angel. You know, it was like the first comic that I did. I didn't really know how to do it. And then I went and did a couple graphic novels for DC and I had to do very tight breakdowns because the book had a tight deadline. So I didn't have time to do pencils. Um, but I would do very tight thumbnails. And the value of doing those breakdowns is just huge for me, uh, you know, because I want my pages to read. I want to have directional devices between panels and things like that. And you, re- I, I really need to do the layouts to work that out. Um, so I do, you know, some some pages require a lot of thumbnails. Uh, some, you know, are relatively simple layouts and you can kind of figure it out in your head almost. So it varies from, you know, story to story and page to page. Um, but, yeah, I definitely do layouts and breakdowns and redraw panels and how tight the pencils are kind of depends again on the complexity of that particular panel if it's a face you know that's relatively simple it might be kind of loose in the pencil stage if it's something with very complex perspective um you know it's almost over rendered in the pencil stage so it just it varies okay i did a bunch of drawings today that were almost all done in ink and I enjoy working that way. There's a French cartoonist, Boulet, who was in Pittsburgh a couple years ago and I got to hang out with and kind of watch him work a little bit. And he does, he's primarily a web cartoonist now, but traditionally he had worked in the European graphic novel model, which is very detailed, um, artwork and line work and a lot of pre-drawing and redrawing and page layouts and planning and penciling. And then when he started doing web comics, he only had a little bit of free time to do the web comics and he would do what were called improvisations and he would just draw directly in ink. But he's super talented and he did this for many years and now he can just draw directly in ink. It's like uncanny. He posts videos of drawings. You know, they're very complex, beautiful. Sometimes they're watercolored and inked and you watch and it's hard to believe somebody can just do that straight to ink. But, mm. you know, it's a skill you can kind of learn. So. I'd, I'd That's the guy doing that, more of it. He did that amazing 24-hour comic, right? Right. Oh, 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 oh! Yes. With, the, with, I, with the boyfriend and the and yes. yes. Oh, that was an awesome strip. And that that wasn't a like a Steve Bissett or a Dave Sim 24-hour comic. No. Look at all the lines. Yeah, that, that was nuts. It was insane. Yeah. I mean, you know, you do what you do in the 24 hours just to to get it done. But it seems like this guy had such a innate ability like he knew what he wanted each but you have to know what you're going to put I in each channel they published before. that yeah they did okay and didn't i think chris did yeah it's an ad house publication that that's yeah. right that's right he goes even one step further a lot of those are drawn at angle m each year like i think he's done six or seven 24-hour comics like that and it's done in mm-hmm. front of an audience like you know it's it's amazing yeah to say the least that that's incredible that would take me a month to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so um, let's talk about um, mainstream comics. Are you reading any? What What are your favorite things out there? Well, um, the the best thing I've seen lately, I think, is that Mike Mignola artist edition. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of his to begin with, and seeing I don't know if you guys have seen that that book. But he has no word balloons and no lettering, so it's just stark black and white. It reprints Hellboy and Hell, I think, the first four issues. Right. And seeing the work in black and white without any lettering or word balloons, it reminds me a little bit of Jim Woodring's Frank comic. Oh, 
<laughs> you know, because it's kind of surreal. It's just Hellboy like wandering through this strange underworld, and there are monsters and like the devil and stuff. It's one of the coolest like comics experiences I've had in a long time. I really, I, I think it's my favorite version of his work that I've seen so far. And being wordless is kind of like a huge part of what I like. Um, I just read Book of Human Insects by uh, Tezuka, uh, which yeah. isn't a new book, but it was new to me. Like I, somebody recommended it, and um, I really enjoyed that book. I don't know if you guys have read it, but it's it's about this woman who um, she goes through a number of different professional careers and they're all based on her mimicking someone else so like she's a designer a performer a writer but everything is kind of stolen from someone else almost to the point of stealing their identity like it's it's pretty interesting because she's kind of like this forger only it's of people um that was a fun book um i don't read a lot of mainstream stuff like i just read (laughs) i just read cable the mini series from like 1993. The John Romita Jr. series. I own a page from that. It's hanging on my wall. Oh, that, no that, way. Took, that, yeah. that took forever to finish because they had to go and throw the Executioner's song between it. The yep. first issue mm-hmm. came out, and I'm waiting for the second issue. And then I realized that oh, they're going to have this whole crossover, and then you get the second issue. And uh, yeah, that was that was crazy. I, 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 I before that, I don't think they really had too many two issue limited series. It's blood and metal, dude. It is blood and metal. Oh, you gotta, you gotta love it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite comics. Like, I like everything about it. I like the inker. I, you know, I like Ramita Jr. It's just a very fun comic. Um, so yeah, you know, a lot of what I read tends to be a little bit outside of the mainstream. Like, I read this one summer by Jillian and Mariko Tamaki. Yeah, I um, talked about it a few, uh, a month or two ago. I loved that book. Yeah, I, I thought, thought it was, was really awesome. beautiful. It was a nice book. Um, yeah, and and it's I you know it's funny you bring that up because I uh, I read something um, this week that I think is probably more widely anticipated and probably sold more, but I think a lot of people would put into the same genre, and it had me thinking about why is it something like like uh, their book really really impressed me and drew me in, even though it's about two young girls at a at a shore house. Whereas this particular book, which seems to be widely acclaimed, I just, I, it just doesn't grab me at all. And I, I'm talking about Brian Lee O'Malley's new book, Seconds. Like I, I, something about Brian Lee O'Malley, I just, it doesn't engage me, even though one could say that from a genre perspective, it's, it's crossing into fairly similar territory. I just, I'm totally disconnected from him, yet he seems to be such a global phenom in terms of like, seems like most people love his stuff. Whereas then this, this book just, just hit, hit home for me. I thought it was just spectacular. And, and I don't know what it is about. I, I, because it's not a genre I read frequently, I, 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 I was sitting thinking after reading seconds, why does this leave me cold? But that, that I thought was so impressive. I don't know. Yeah, that's hard to answer. This stuff is so personal. You know, the stuff that you connect with, you may connect with. It, just in these little minute details, you know, that you find some personal resonance with. And it is hard to, I have that experience too, where I'll read a book that, you know, a friend of mine recommends or loves. And I just, it, you know, it just doesn't connect. And I'm always like, is there something wrong with me? Like everybody loves this book and it's not, I'm not responding to it, but I think that's the nature of art, you know? Mm. It's true. If you liked, um, <clears throat> if you like, this one summer, have you ever heard of a book called Jane the Fox and Me? No. 
I picked this up in Toronto last fall. It's by um, a writer-artist team that typically does children's picture books out of Montreal. And it's mm-hmm. a it's very similar to um, – well, it reminds me of this one summer in that the protagonist is kind of a middle school-aged uh, girl. And she's having trouble at school. She feels alienated from her peers. Um, her home life's okay, but she doesn't necessarily have someone there that's like her age that she connects with. And so she ends up um, connecting with with Jane Austen, the book, like she reads it on the bus to and from school. And it's just this beautiful story. And it really reminds me of this one summer because the artwork is like the strongest part of the of the story, I think. Um, but it's very it's very nuanced. And it's it surprises me that this is like their first graphic novel it, because uh-huh. it's so well done. <laughs> Um, you know, I'd like to think it's hard to do this and, and, you know, you should, should do a few books before you produce one that's really good, <laughs> but it's exceptional and it seems like it's something that's a little bit outside of the comics mainstream. I'm hoping to write a review of it because it's probably my favorite thing that I've read in the last year. Oh, wow. Okay. Hmm. It sounds pretty dope. I'm looking at it now that, yeah, I can see what you mean. The art is, is, is very, very impressive. It looks like it's a, uh, it's a, she, I can't tell if it's a narrative thing or not because I'm seeing random pages, but it looks like she goes back and forth or they go back and forth for, uh, between black and white and, uh, and colored like watercolor. Is it mostly watercolor from the looks of it? I'm not sure. I, I can't tell exactly okay. what the medium is because some of it's very pencil like and mm-hmm. some of it's almost like flat color. You know, it's very vibrant at times. Um, mm-hmm. but that is, it does serve a narrative purpose. Those color transitions. Okay. Um, yeah, gotcha. it's, it's pretty well done. I know what I've been looking at. This is the main thing that I've been looking at lately is uh, Jason Carnes' Fuckator work. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're putting together a book. Oh, and so, like, that's yeah. what I've been staring at all week, like, every day. Um, that's the main comics that I've been taking in. So, like, I think my eyeballs need to soak in Clorox. But um, I'm super excited. Bit. Like, like we're putting together a, a pretty substantial collection of that work for a big publisher. Uh it hasn't been announced yet, so I can't tell you who that is, but I'm so excited. Huh. I think you guys know his work a little bit. Oh, yeah. He's, I, I love him. Uh, now it makes total sense why he's letting some of those self-published, self-printed issues go away. I'm so excited to like just make his work available to a wider audience. I think it's going to blow people away. I feel like it'll be the kind of book that a handful of people, it will be their favorite book of the year. Because nothing yeah, else he, looks like this stuff. And exactly. he's mostly, you know, I think he's he's just not been read very much. I don't think most people know about him. But he has this tremendous body of work. It reminds me a little bit of Fletcher Hanks. Yes. Because I don't think people realize that it exists. And once it shows up, it's like fully formed. Um, the book that we're doing is going to be, uh, I think, 144 pages, full color. And I think people are just going to lose their minds over it. Yeah, look at his um sequentials too. I see a lot of Richard Corbin in his style. Yeah, definitely. And we were talking yeah. about lettering, you know, a few minutes ago. His lettering is phenomenal, his colors yeah. phenomenal. Um he has a wicked sense of humor. I just you know, <laughs> I just think they're good comics. Not a fondness for women though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, oh man, I would hate to be a woman in in the Jason Carnes universe because it usually doesn't end up well for them. But I would hate no, to be I, any I, character in his universe. <laughs> I, was say, yeah. I remember the stuff when Vince you talked about it. It was, seems like it was a while ago, but you sent us links as you were talking about it, and I just uh, I still can remember the images. But it is yeah. funny though. There's some fun, like I remember there was one uh, 
one thing it was like, like what like I kick I kick evil in the dick or something like that, which I thought was yeah, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and he has a an appreciation for the the horror exploitation films. You could see it in all of his work. Mm-hmm. And uh no, I think he's really special. Um so you said it's coming out in a 144 page full color? Yeah, and it'll be uh ah. bigger than the ash cans. It's going to I'm very excited. I think it's going to be a nice book. Just, you know, just like yourself, he pops up in the weirdest places. Like I got a um like a black metal magazine called Organ uh the other day and his work is in there. And have you seen that that magazine Organ? No. It's completely black and white and Every square inch of every page is utilized. All the to- all the the text is handwritten, and there's just one more one disturbing uh, illustration after another. And Carnes is in, like you know, the, the, of the Jason Carnes's type of drawing, like with the 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 demonic entities ripping off people's heads and stuff. And that'll be used as a border on the side of the page. It's beautiful, and uh, it's called Organ. Yeah, I got the guys on the Facebooks and he was just like pimping it last week. I said, damn, I'll take a chance. I got it. I haven't been able to put it down. It's, it's so in my wheelhouse. It's driving the bus. <laughs> that sounds really cool. <laughs> Your description yeah, makes me is, think uh... of uh, Cinema Sewer a little bit. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's of, right. They, they do mostly the black metal stuff, but they'll also review movies and you know what type of movies they, they gravitate to, towards. So, uh, there's some comics in there. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful zine. And they used the font from, uh, the old, uh, Gorezone magazine. Oh, wow. That, that Fangoria used to publish. They, they use the same font. So the G in Oregon is the G in, in Gorezone. It's amazing. Yeah. It's really good. That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was it was really cheap. I think it's like 125 pages square bound, and it was 15 bucks shipped. Yeah, that doesn't sound bad at all. Uh very inexpensive. So wow, we are hooked up to. How, how did you get hooked up to like to to put the book together? Almost. I mean, it, it just because he knows your how how did that connection come about? Once I once I started reading his stuff and I liked it, you know, like I tend to um, try to share whatever work. I enjoy because I want people to do well and keep making more work, you know, if it's something I like. Yeah. So um, I ordered a couple of his issues through the mail and I loved them and I ended up ordering all of them and I would just take them to comic book shows because a lot of the work that I like is small press work. You know, there's not a lot of it, but I have friends who are also into that and we tend to share it with one another. And so no one I knew knew this work and I would take it to shows and I'd show everybody and be like, have you ever seen this? Do you know this guy? Like what's up? And, um, you know, I would show it to publishers and I'd be like, you should do a book of this. <laughs> and eventually one of the publishers was like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Uh, you know, is he, is he interested in that? And I was like, I have no idea. It's just, it just <laughs> seems like it makes sense to me. So, um, you know, I reached out to him and, and, uh, that's kind of how it came together. Like I keep in touch with him, you know, we email and stuff. Once I started reading his comics, I had a million questions. And so we've been in touch that way and we've been in a couple of art shows together and stuff. Um, so yeah, whenever somebody expressed interest, I just basically put those two in contact and they figured it out and asked me if I wanted to help design it. And I did. And so that's how we got here. Oh, that's oh, awesome. And, and he's a very canny businessman because when I originally talked about it the first couple of times on the show, individual issues were going for like six bucks. 
the last time I checked, there were 10. So I'm like, yeah, homeboy's getting some play. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's, he's, he's a smart dude. It was all you, Vince. All you. No, no, no. It was, I'm just saying he's, he's, he's getting attention from a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. When Jim, when Jim Rugg picks up on you, you're doing something right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, that, that's nice to hear. Usually I worry that it's like the kiss of death because I, I think a lot of the stuff I like tends to sell less than 200 copies or something. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. The same here. Hopefully I can turn it around with this one. Yeah. That's pretty altruistic of you to, to, to do that, to like, to pimp the guy's book out, not even knowing him at the time. Well, I'm, Respect- you know, I mean, my friends and I all do that. You know, you find something and you think, oh, you know, Ben Marrow would love this or Ed Pisker should see this, you know, and I think you guys, you know, I mean, you do it with your podcast. Like, it's what makes fandom great and it's what makes having friends and, you know, in this comics community, like, it's a lot of my favorite part, right? You want to find comics that you love and there's so much work out there now. You almost have to have other people looking, uh, you know, and, and comparing notes with what you find because there's just so much available right now and a lot of it is in small editions and it is regional. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know how altruistic it is. Like the return is I show it to somebody and then they say, Hey, have you seen this artist? You know, and so yeah, I get right. to go well, home I, with you, a potential new favorite. I think you're getting at something that's societal, right? Uh, I mean, it's microcosm. Our, our fandom is a microcosm of something much broader. We, uh, I, I think as you know, I, I make my living as an investor and we, um, we are, our, our, our sort of overarching, uh, approaches to identify, uh, big, big seismic trends and and figure out how to capitalize on them and, and one of the things that um one of the things that i i have tasked our team to focus on last few years is is this transition from you know, we've had this explosion of available uh information and data and art and really from all you know, there's just there's so much information out there now and so it's the theme is you know content curation and that comes in a lot of forms but i think that one of the most effective uh, means of content curation is, is that, um, is, is the, you know, it's, it's the ability to leverage your, your social connections because there's an instantiated trust. Um, you know, it used to be that you would decide to go to a movie either because you liked the preview or you read a review from Roger Ebert, but there were as many people that knew that Roger Ebert's tastes were so different than theirs that if he didn't like something, they'd say, Oh, maybe I'll go try it and vice versa. But, now it's so much easier to just quickly get a consensus of people, friends and other associates of, of, of something that's been produced and get a real, really strong sense based on their reactions, whether it's something you would vibe on. And uh, I think comics is one of the, because it's a smaller, more intimate medium, I think it's benefited from that tremendously. Uh, not just because of availability that the work is easier, easier to get, but also, like you said, because it's just so much easier for us all to, come across one another. I mean, even 10 years ago, what is the likelihood that we'd all have met each other and be able to share uh, uh, your art and, and talk to other people about how much we like it, right? It would have been unusual because we would have maybe just come across you at a regional show and then maybe seen you again uh, the next year at that same show. So I, I love that. I think that the, you know, the social web has really changed all of that for, for the better. That's, I know, I know we spent a lot of time talking about how bad the internet is and, and, and all the, you know, and all the negativity that comes from places like Twitter or people talking about message board hating and stuff. But I, I do think there is a tremendously positive aspect to social connectivity. And, and I think uh, spreading the love of things that you like in particular 
uh, art and other things that people consume is is one of those uh, examples of that. So it's pretty cool to see. That was a big takeaway for me from Comic-Con this year is seeing mm-hmm. the degree of enthusiasm on people's faces that were attending. It was amazing. You know, like I tend to hang out with a bunch of other cartoonists. And so our perspective is somewhat skewed. You know, we're, we're sort of behind the curtain and and look at comics a little differently than you do if you're just reading comics. And even the small press shows that I often do are a little bit more, you know, kind of inside baseball. A lot of people, even if they're just attending the shows, are aspiring cartoonists. And so you have a little bit of a different conversation. Mm-hmm. But seeing people at Comic-Con, it just seemed like people were so happy to be there. It, it was kind of incredible to see that. And I I don't know. It, I found it very refreshing. And I think that that kind of community is definitely a positive you know, you talk about like the social aspects of comics. And to me, I think there's a huge plus there. And I think that's a history of comics too, in a lot of ways, you know, like comics, maybe part of the reason comics are so successful right now is because they had built communities, you know, pre-internet, like fandom kind of kept comics alive throughout comics history in certain instances. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if comics and comics fandom was just very well prepared for this transition to uh, social media and online communities. As opposed to something, you know, a, a film aficionado or somebody, um, you know, probably didn't have that that much of a fandom as comics did historically. Sure. Well, I think it's it's I think the answer is yes, and it's because uh, there's always been a bit of a cult aspect to comic fa- fandom, especially non non big two superhero stuff, uh, and 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 certainly we. There's something str- there's something unique about certain types of fans and and comics are certainly one of those where where we feel this a good chunk of the fandom feels this compulsion to advocate for the medium right it, it almost as if we 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 have felt for much of our of our time being fans that without the support and advocacy that the medium may go away so it's been self motivated we've we've done it to keep the medium going that we love but the reality is. Uh, it's, it's strange. I don't know that there aren't too many other types of entertainment that people feel the need to advocate for, for fear that otherwise it'll go away, right? I mean, sure, people talk about, oh, I love that TV show, but they don't do it in the sense of, if we don't do it, who else will? I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 I don't know what it is. It's, maybe it's, it's some kind of deep psychological thing about, you know, w- w- the kinds of people that became comic book fanatics in the first place. I don't know. I, I haven't really thought it through, but. It does seem like we are more passionate than, than many. Comics are an extremely things. intimate art form because of how few people make, you know, like a, like a standard issue of a comic book or a graphic novel or something. You know, even if it's something that's going through like a Marvel DC kind of system, you still have a very tiny number of people's hands involved compared to say a film, you know, like a film has, what did Guardians of the Galaxy probably had 5,000 people involved in it? Yeah, that one part at the trailer or the the end credits where it just was a mass of names mm-hmm. on the screen, and it just kept going and going and going. It's like so many hands in that pot, mm-hmm. right? And you know, like a comic book compared to that is a very much like singular vision or the work of a couple of people, and you can kind of see their hands in there. You know, you can identify a writer's style or an artist's style or whatever. And so, you know, maybe fandom just reacts to that. It is very, very human compared to some of the larger mass media that we can, that we see. 
It's incredibly intimate. When you, when you can look at an image and instantly realize that, yeah, that's a Gil Kane drawing. Or, or, you know, that, that's a, um, Art Bear ink that. That, how, you can't get that in the movies. You can pick up on director's styles after a while. But the, 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 the connection with comics is immediate. You know a Frank Miller drawing when you see it. You know a Frank Miller comic based on the way he's spoken to you on the page before. So it, we, we feel like these people are much closer to us. Than, than say, you know, David Lynch, who has a very particular style, but do I feel like I've had a conversation with David Lynch? No. Mm-hmm. I feel, I feel like I have with Frank Miller. And Kirby, I, it's like, he's like my grandfather. I know that guy. <laughs> you know? But one of the things when Jason was talking about the, the social media and stuff and, and, and the, fu- the fact that we do go out of our way to, to make art known on, on this show is the payoff for me is look at the friendships we've made. Yeah. True. Just from this show. It's true. Uh, that is worth far more than any kind of compensation, monetary compensation we would ever get because we don't get anything really. But just the fact that I, I'm, I'm at a, on a personal level with, with guys that make the books that I love, that's invaluable to me. Like yourself, you know, I, I say, yeah, I know Jim Rugg. That guy right there, the guy that did that book. <laughs> well, I know I, him. I, I feel think the that's same one of the way. other things. I think cartoonists are a lot closer to one another, too, than a lot of uh, Mm -hmm. some of these bigger industries like film. You know, I don't know that filmmakers get to hang out every couple months at a show and talk shop and, you know, trade their latest works with one another. So, you know, I I think that extends beyond beyond just readership and over to the other side of the table as well. Yeah, but it always stuns me for how many people like ourselves that appreciate art and and recognize the value of it there's so many people out there that art is just totally lost on them it's like it's like wine you know some people dig it some people don't and and some people just do not get the importance of art well, in, in in not only personal lives but society as well I i'll mean, take that one step further I'll, I'll put some people on blast i i listen <laughs> uh, well no probably to probably more than 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 you, you guys, that you, that Vince and David, I, I listen to a lot of other, uh, comics podcasts. Uh, I'd agree with that. I have, yeah, I have a longer commute and the like, but, yep. but I listen to a bunch and I've cycled through tons over the years and, and some I stick with, many I don't. But, um, I am constantly shocked at how it seems like the vast majority of comic podcasts focus, at least in, in the way they describe the books when they talk about them, almost exclusively <laughs> On the story's narrative, and and wh- which is not to say, look, their stories. We, when we talk about books, we often talk about what they're about story-wise. That's, I mean, that is a part of the book, right? That's certainly. But I, I, I think it is very rare where a podcast speaks specifically to the art. The art is often a uh, afterthought. They may mention the artist and then say, "Oh, I liked the art," or "I didn't like the art." But well, it's I think rarely I, they rarely dissect the art, um, and there are exceptions, right. obviously. Uh, and I'm not just saying this to, to blow our own horn. I'm sure we have we're we're very cyclical in the way we approach things. I'm sure at some points we get very art centric, and other points we probably go long stretches where we're very story centric. Because I don't know that we ever uh, we certainly don't plan in advance about what's going right. to come out of our mouths. But but um, you know, you look at a show like Sidebar. Certainly, they they're 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 an exception to the rule because they're focused on art. Um, I would say Ink Studs. They're very art centric when they discuss. I think they're excellent. They do a great job with it. Um, um, I think uh, Andy Spinarak, when they were around, did a great job uh, focusing on on art and the craft of 
of, of art. But, but for the most part, a, a lot of shows, many of which I, I enjoy, rarely discuss the art other than a box that they check about whether it was a positive or a negative on their overall enjoyment of the comic. Right. Well, I think one of the main reasons why that is is because it's difficult to express your feelings on art. That's uh, true. I mean, speaking speaking personally, I struggle with it all the time mm-hmm. to try to get those words out that approximate the feeling that I'm getting from this the, these lines or these colors, and and it always brings me back to 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 that one saying: um, writing about music is like dancing about architecture. And 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 I once time attributed that to to uh, Frank Zappa, but he did not, in fact, say that. You know who said that? Martin Mull. No shit. Yes, that is a Martin Mull wow. quote. And, and it, because the, the, a lot of the, the feelings that we derive from these images is, it, they're unutterable. They're, they're, you cannot approximate that feeling with words. It just, it, 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 it's very hard to do. And like, it kills me that I can't tell you what I'm feeling when I look at a Josh Bayer drawing or, 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 you know, I can approximate it, but I never really get it. I mean, it's, 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 it's that brass ring, and I, I can't quite grab it, but I want to, and I keep trying to push myself to find different words, different um, ways of speaking to approximate this stuff, and it was so friggin' hard, and I think that's why some people skirt the issue, because, yeah, it is a lot of work. The story is laid out right there. In most cases, it's A to B to C to D, this happened, that happened, this is, you know, it, that's easy. When, when, when you're trying to encapsulate the experience from looking at these images, that's the hard part. I think there are different lenses through which to, uh, to process a comic. You know, I think a lot of readers are interested in characters or story, um, more mm-hmm. so than the art side of it. And I think that's, you know, like I, I don't begrudge anyone for that. Um, you know, I think that's a legitimate way to read the, the work and experience it. And I think the majority of readers probably, you know, experienced stories in comics that way. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I hear what you guys are saying and I like to hear about people talking about the artwork because that's what I'm interested in, in a lot of cases. But, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's all right. And I think that it, it sort of describes a healthier industry that you have different people approaching the stuff differently, you know, in mm-hmm. reviews or in podcasts. Um, so I, I don't know that it's a bad thing that a lot of people aren't focusing on the artwork or, you know, deconstructing the comic to that degree. I think some of the feelings towards the art will factor into, that will filter into their description of the story. I think that's true too. I think, I think that's true yeah. for sure. Yeah, because, I mean, if you, if you just listen to the tone of their voice as they're describing the story and they get to one part and the, the voice gets elevated or it gets the words, the spaces between the words get smaller you could tell that that section affected them on a level that the other sections didn't and and you just got to pick up on it but um yeah it's 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 a beautiful thing and it's a scary thing it's a very scary thing too but i like being scared so that's why that's why why i do it and you got to challenge yourself which is what i wanted to another thing i wanted to ask you what is the rug work ethic like how do, how do you approach making art is it is it a constant thing or are there times when you're just like shit i got to get up and draw <laughs> no it's pretty constant um it seems it because you're quite prolific yeah i you know i i have so many things i want to do you know and time moves pretty fast so 
I tend to work on whatever makes sense based on the time and the, you know, the budget where I'm at, you know, there are a lot of factors, but I always have a bunch of stuff going on. I'm hoping to change that. Like my plan is to work on one project over the next year. And so right now I'm just cleaning out my schedule. Like I have probably DZ Act two. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> um, oh no! But you know, like I, I am trying to get away from doing you know a bunch of different projects at at once. But comics are always, you, you know, you're always multitasking. So I think it's possible to set up your day so that if you don't feel inspired, you may just ink that day, or you know maybe you can do some pre-production or digital stuff, you know, because that's the system. Like. If you wait for inspiration, I just don't think you're a professional. Um, it, it doesn't work that way, in my experience. I think you're right, right. So, so this is a self-employed situation. There's no other job. You, you have, you're doing this 24/7. Yes and no. I try really hard not to do it 24/7. Uh, obsession is something that I, I think is is a problem. And so, um, like this year, I started taking one day a week off. And it's changed my life, my perspective on everything. Um, so I, I try not to do 24-7. I, I see the results of that, and I've done that for at different stretches in my life, and I just don't think it's healthy, and I don't. that's not the life I want to live. So, um, yeah, th- this is what I do for a living, but um, hopefully not 24-7. Cool. Well, well, props to you because, I mean – these days, it takes some serious drive to make that work, and, and you seem to be doing it very well. Yeah, knock on wood, it's it's been going well. What's it like to hang out with sexy Sholy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a trip. <laughs> he's amazing. He's a he's a lot of fun. I've known Tom for oh man, almost fifteen years, pretty much as long as I've been doing this. And uh, yeah, he's I, I enjoy the crew of cartoonists in pittsburgh you know he's here ed pisker frank santoro jason lex um i think a lot of all those guys and uh and they all bring different skill sets to the table that's one of my favorite parts about the pittsburgh comics community is that we're not working in the same styles um you know occasionally our genres happen to link up but everybody seems to be coming from different directions and i i get a lot of energy out of that like whenever i am dragging that's one of the ways I kind of get out of a funk is by seeing these guys and seeing what they're working on and taking away some of their enthusiasm. And, and Tom certainly has uh, no shortage of enthusiasm. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how these little microcosms of, of art pop up in, from uh, in geographic areas? Like you had the, the Fort Thunder guys. In, in Providence with Chippendale and Matt Brinkman and, and, and all those dudes. And, and they were, they were extremely productive and, and all just brilliant artists. Now you got this Pittsburgh thing going on with you and, and Sholey and Piscar. It amazes me. Like, why do these things happen? How do they happen? What brings all these people into this certain area? And how do they find each other? And, and, and not only find each other, but, you profit from each other in a sense and you feed each other. That's just, it's, it just boggles my mind how these things happen. Yeah. I think they're unique situations. You know, I'm not sure how much we would have in common with Fort Thunder, who I'm a huge fan of and I love the mythology of Fort Thunder, but I think our situations are really different. And as you were saying that, I, I was thinking like, what is, you know, is there a common element or, you know, conditions that make these things happen? And, 
I don't know that there is one, you know, I think it's just kind of luck in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It was like a commune in Rhode Island. Yeah. I mean, most, they lived together, which, you know, I wouldn't mind living with Sholey, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it, that was a unique situation. But I, I'm just looking at like big picture, like these instances where bam, you'll get this scene for lack of a better word. And, and it's in, incredibly artistic and just, vibrant and then in other areas like in scranton pennsylvania you get like really nothing it's 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 amazing yeah i i don't know you know like pittsburgh has a very long history of comics and and besides the guys that you know right now we've had past generations of talented cartoonists we have a good infrastructure of comic book stores which really help um Mm -hmm. i'm working on a zine right now about the proprietor of copacetic comics which i don't know if you guys know copacetic comics it's yeah. one of the best stores I've ever been to. And, you know, it's just luck that I happen to live in the city where it's located. Right. Um, but the guy that runs the store has been doing comics retail around Pittsburgh since the late 70s. And he's influenced, you know, multiple generations of cartoonists because he has a well-stocked store. He's a friendly proprietor. So if you show up with your comics or you're talking about, I really enjoyed this book, he's very quick to be able to point you at other, you know, similar work or other work that – might make sense and um that's a that's just a huge resource to have access to and not everyone does you could tell the the internet kind of baffles him because while he does have a web presence it's old school all the way and like it hasn't been updated for like years and years and like the the last i look at the paul pope page and it says um last update is like 2005 (laughs) <laughs> it's like, that, that's the kind of store I want to go to. Screw the internet. <laughs> yeah, I was just, I, I was just talking to him today about Paul Pope, as a matter of fact. It's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> I think the other thing too about, um, about this, this geographic thing is, uh, I mean, Jim touched on it a little bit, but I also think, uh, it, it doesn't hurt that you guys had a, a, a at least until recently, a very well received con. Uh, people raved about the, the Pittsburgh Comic Con for a long time, and I think that fosters uh, that that fosters a, 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 not only a sense of community, but a chance for cartoonists that are local to, to meet each other and become friends. So I'm sure that helped too. At least yeah, for I a think few a years. lot of us had experiences at, at the Pittsburgh Con with you know meeting uh, you know when we were younger, meeting professional cartoonists and being able to yeah. just kind of look at their artwork and ask them probably really stupid questions, <laughs> um, you know, but my generation of cartoonists are, I think, for the most part, are self-taught. So being exposed to professionals or, you know, anything you can find sort of helps fill in the gaps of, like, how do you actually make these comics? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a good convention definitely is one way to do that. Yeah. Jason, you were talking about uh, the fact that you listen to a lot of comic book um, podcasts. You you know I don't listen to – well, hard I don't listen to any. Right. And uh Today I fired up a podcast, not a comic book one, but they're, I'm, I'm making a. The point is coming, and uh, I, I, I'm not a fan of Mark uh, Marin, uh, but I, I, I did listen to. Yeah, I listened to the WTF with with Robin Williams, mm-hmm. and, and my heart just broke. Yeah. And, and as he was going on, I was thinking, how much like Wally Wood is this? And you get these guys that are incredibly talented and gifted and just like everyone seems to agree that they're just brilliant and then they – something like this happens. And, and the, I'll tell you, the, the, the thing I thought about most of the time is not only was it such a sad 
thing that happened with Robin, but I, I thought a lot about Wally Wood. And you get these guys that are just amazing in in our you know, in the comic book arena, and then something like that, they'll do something like this where you just you don't understand it. Right. It's it, it's 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 incredibly uh, disturbing to me. Yeah, there's a lot of ways and, to cut to cut at this, right? Um, and it's interesting. It's it's interesting at how many places Robin Williams has become a topic of conversation because, I mean, the simple fact is, lots of famous people die every day, right? I mean, that's that's it's, there's 365 days a year, and there's a lot more celebrities. But I had to bring. Up. No, no. But my point is, is is that Robin Williams, I've noticed, seems to have permeated the conversation everywhere, uh, whether right. it be well, you know it got mentioned on. You know, on ESPN, it, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's just being talked about everywhere. So it shows you right. and, how influential the dude was. Um, right. And how many comic shops have we seen photos yeah. of Robin yeah. in, in the comics, yeah. like with the proprietors, with the, 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 the customers, just, just hobnobbing yeah. with, with the dudes. It's just, I don't, I don't understand it. I'm not, I'm not supposed to understand it. I was going to say, I, I can't begin to, to guess what, what drives someone to do what he did. Um, yeah. It's just heartbreaking. It, it, really it is, is. It is. It is. And, um, and it's also something that, uh, lesson learned is, is not best discussed on Twitter where you only have 140 oh, characters. No, trying to make it <laughs> I, I mean, and, and, yeah. And it's, it's, it, we can, we, we can all, I, I, I think initially our reactions are to be like, well, why didn't he get help? But you don't know if he was getting help or he tried to get mm-hmm. help or, or all the help that was available to him. And this was still right. his, his last resort. So, I mean, we, we, we haven't walked in his shoes. I, I am. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, 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 and, and, and go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I, no I'm, 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 I'm going to miss him. I'm going to enjoy what he left us, what he gave us. And, and, uh, I, right. I am, um, no, I, I, he really, there isn't, whether it was, whether it was me seeing Popeye when I lived in Arizona or, or whether it was me when uh, I, when I worked at Coconuts and, and I played between Aladdin and the Lion King on, on the screens every day when I, when I opened up the store. I, Robin Williams was a part of my life for all of my life pretty much. And, 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 uh, you know, and whether, whether I'm watching, you know, his, his not so stellar work like RV or old dogs or it doesn't matter what I was watching that he was in. It, it, the fact that it was Robin Williams, it, it, it made, it made me smile knowing that he was attached to something. I, it, it, it gave me a reason to check it out. So, um, right. but I don't know if, if, if my perceptions are colored by the events, but with all the pictures we've been seeing of, of Mr. Williams over the past couple of days, I noticed there's a lot of sadness in those eyes. Well, yeah, yeah. But I, and I never picked up on that before. And I'm just saying, I'm wondering if that's like fueled with the information I have. Now I can see it, or maybe I'm injecting something into those pictures that's not really there. Yeah, it's really hard I, to say, I, bro. I mean, yeah. I know what you're saying. It's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 I mean, he, he, he was a very, he was a very open person. He, he, he dealt with, with alcoholism and drug addiction throughout much of his life. So he, he, and he never hid that. Um, I, I will can, say, what's that? No, I was just going to say, you, you look at the photos of Wally Wood and there, and there's kind of a similar right, air right. in those eyes. Yeah. It's, it's all in the eyes. Right, yeah. right. What I was, was just going to say is that I, I think this is a tough thing because, um, it, it's, yeah, I was talking to my kids about this. Um, there, there is a cult of personality that 
we in this country uh, can't help ourselves but to create. And and I think it's perfectly fine. We all do it. Um, but I think it's also important to reflect on events like this for for what they should be teaching us once we're past the initial shock, which is that uh, – and I say this all the time about athletes and football players and, and, and celebrities, and I really want my kids to understand this. Um, we don't know these people. Right. We can love these people like they're our friends. We can absolutely adore their work and be massively personally touched and influenced by whether it be their work or what they do on a, on a court or a field or what we see on the page or see on the screen. But we do not, unless we're friends with them personally, know these people. We have no idea what's going on in their personal lives, in their minds, what they're like to those around them. We just don't know. And it's so easy and uh, maybe even impossible to 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 separate the two. The, we talk sometimes about certain comic book creators that maybe have political views or social views that we don't necessarily agree with. And can you separate the man from the work? Well, it's the same thing really here, right? I mean, we all loved the work, and as a result, we think we loved the man. We don't know the man. We didn't nope. know him. We, we don't know anything about him. So, so other than what he shared with us publicly. So, I just, um, it, you know, it, 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 if there's one bitter irony of a thing like this, it's that if in in our minds, in our logical minds, you would think, geez, if 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 this guy could only see how much how many people in the world are touched by him, you would think that would be enough to make him not want to end right. his own life. Right. But again, yeah. when you get to, but, but the thing is that's such a dangerous thing to say because we can't begin to understand what his own view of his life was. So it's just very complicated. And I just, I, to me, the thing, when all the dust settles, I just want to remember that we just don't, we don't know the entertainers, uh, unless we're friends. I mean, unless we know them personally through other, other measures, we don't know these people. So we can enjoy their work or not enjoy their work as the case may be, but don't let that project onto what we think of the person. Cause we just don't know. We don't know them, uh, you know, and, and right. I, 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 my heart really goes out for, for his, his kids and his, and his wife and stuff. Yeah. I, I just, that, that's who really, I think is the, the, the losers of this. Cause sure, we, we all are bummed that a, a guy that we, we loved his work is gone too, too soon, but, but that is, you know, that's a transient thing. His, his voluminous work is, is still going to be there a year from now. It's still going to be there 10 years from now. We're, yeah. we're not going to dis, we're not going to stop or forget that, that these films and these comedy routines and, and, and these moments on television, uh, are gone. Uh, in fact, in many ways, his, his death will probably bring new exposure to a lot of his work that some people weren't aware of, but, but, you know, a, a, a Kids lost their dad. Um, women lost their lover. It's it, that that's the thing that I think can't be dismissed here. Um, right. So, well, one, one of the things I've learned in all this is to um, give credit where it's due and and drop a little bit of a thank you to someone who who whose work I appreciate. Like I, I see so much art, uh, you know, on the Facebooks and stuff, and and I'm gonna get into the habit of you know I don't want to be schmaltzy or or you know emo, but just Dude, your 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 work makes my life better, Jim. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you know, you know, I would the, say the, too. Um, I don't think this is limited to celebrity. You know, people have you interact with people all the time that you don't necessarily know or know what they're going through or where they're coming from. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it extends to all walks of life. I, I wouldn't just limit it to sports stars and you know actors. 
No, that's a great point. I mean, you're right, especially uh, now that you say that. I think how many people in comics uh, do I think do I sit here and think, oh, I know, I know who they are, or even how many people listen to our show and think they know us, right? Because we're fairly open and honest and, and, and mention personal things sometimes. So I'm sure there are lots of people that listen to our show and feel a connection to the show because they think they know us. But yeah. the, 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 the truth is they, they actually most likely – many of them have a, a wrong picture of us. Um, right. I mean, and we see this on both sides though too. Uh, a comic fandom especially. Like we have encountered a few individuals out there that are obviously troubled. There, there, there's something going on and I, I like to – reach out to them uh, most of the times it turns out well there have been a couple of times it hasn't but you know it doesn't cost anything to say dude you're pretty special you're, you're working out well thanks a lot thanks for being here you know what i mean it doesn't take much and i think that's the one thing i'm taking away from this is tell people what they mean to you right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. why not i think that's fair yeah, yeah social media further clouds all of that because, like you said, you think that you know somebody because you follow them on Facebook or listen to them on a podcast or something like that. But um, human contact, I think, is really important, especially whenever you're dealing with issues of depression. You know, I think it's often it manifests by kind of cutting off from other people. Mm-hmm. And I think real human interaction is is pretty vital. I, I agree. And, and I know we're going down a, a very deep philosophical rabbit hole here. Um <laughs> But again, I guess speaking as a dad, I don't know, Vince, if you deal with this uh, with your kids because they're even a little older than mine. But but it it this is a societal thing, and it genuinely worries me how device centric kids have become. Um, I, I mean, I I will many uh, I I will a couple of weeks ago we had some some of my son's friends over, and they were playing in the pool and everything, and that was great, and they had a great time. But then they all get out of the pool and I go down to the TV room, the, the kids playroom and there's like seven 11, 12 year old boys sitting around together who are all buddies and they're all just staring at their iPhones <laughs> and, and their, own, their own favorite brands of porn. Well, but it just, it, it, and again, I know to their mind, it's no different than, I mean, they were in their minds, they were hanging out. But I, I I worry about the art of conversation, uh, the the the, uh, the 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 intimacy of of the human condition. Uh, it it yeah. does worry me a bit. And again, I I know I'm sounding like a grumpy old man back in my day, but I, I do think there are extensions to this that 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 will need to be dealt with. Um, yeah, as, I think you're as, right. As this continues. Yeah, I spend a lot of time on the Facebooks during the day, but that's because I hate my job. But when, <laughs> when I us. when I come. I do love you, but when I come home and I see the kids, people bop, 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 like texting and, and Vinny's always on the surface. There, there's times I just, it, it just gets too much. I'm like, put that damn thing away. Go outside. Even if you, you know, just walk around the damn yard. Just cut yourself off from that for a little while. Read a book. How about that? Mm-hmm. We have a ton of them. I can show <laughs> you. Yeah, just pick pick it up and read it. And and my one daughter will, but the other two, it, it is like pulling teeth to get these kids to do anything that's not plugged in. Plus, you have and an estate for those that haven't seen this place. Uh, an estate. Uh, there are actually, many, I, many I ways hope, a young child can be entertained. <laughs> I hope I hope Microsoft appreciates the plug because every so often Vince has to throw it's out true. that surface mention, and it's like Dude, yeah, I like I the surface. I don't care what people think about. <laughs> you're the only podcast that's re- that, that that on iTunes that mentions the surface. I think. <laughs> 
other than Microsoft. <laughs> that, that's that includes cool. Microsoft's podcast, but uh, yeah, I can go to hell. How about that? No, I um, well, you guys. I mean, I now that Vince is back on the Facebooks, he uh, we we tend to Jason, Vince, and I will will it barely an hour goes that's, by. It's home without base. you know one of us. Just throwing something else out there about whether it's comics or movies or just, you know, something stupid or, or me bitching about where it doesn't matter what, but we're always communicating through, through messenger that way. And, and, um, and as, and, and as soon as Jason said, you know, you don't know the person, that's, I'm, I'm very protective of, of, of my friends, my, my loved ones and, and no, no really, really, yeah. yeah, you know, but so, so, I mean, when, and, and when I see it online, that, that, that's when I kind of, I, I, I have to kind of just lean back a bit because if, it, be, and I'm not, no way in hell am I comparing us to Robin Williams or any, any celebrity, but, but when people listen to us and they, we can hang out with people at cons, we, we, we've, Love Zach, we, 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 Roland and, and, and Tiki. And I mean, there's so many, Mario, there's so many people who we, we, we hang out with and, and we consider brothers. But when you have that, that one dude who you, you, you don't even know if he's a listener and he let, and, and, and he tries to make some funny comment about something. It's, I just, I, that's when I kind of have to just be like, you don't, I, I definitely get where Jason's saying where, you know, you don't know the person and that's, and, and that, that's what I kind of hone in on, but yeah. Yeah, but for for all the bad, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of benefit from from the social network. Oh, stuff. I agree. Like, That's my point earlier. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, yeah, I'll be sitting there at work and and say, uh, Bellino will 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 shoot an image of a screen print he's working on, and it makes my freaking day mm-hmm. to to see this guy's work, and or you know, or, or Tom will, will will shoot up some process pictures of uh, Transformers versus GI Joe, and just to see. How he approaches the art form and what he, the, the, the great pains that that guy takes to get that comic made. It's just that you, you can't, that's worth, it's invaluable. You can't pay I, for I've that. pretty much had, I, I stopped following a lot of people just because Vince shares so much. So I just like it through him and, and I can just, I view everybody's <laughs> artwork that way. I do share a lot of sure. stuff. You are the king sharer. It's insane. <laughs> I'd, That's I'd me. Put Vince on ignore. So that <laughs> you know, I think you do because no, especially in the in the DMs, I'll say something. David will reply to me. Jason, I, I get like f you, bro. He doesn't say anything. <laughs> there, there are days I, where I kind of have a feeling that that I know when Jason's a little busy because it's like because it, it was like that the other day where it was just like it's like not till like three o'clock, and it was because I said yeah, something about just, something. Yeah, yeah so disconnected. Yeah. So let, let's bring this back yes, to Jim. Please. Are, are you got, are you and Ed and Tom tight on the social networks? Like, do you guys do that as well? Or, or is it mostly like work, work, work? It's mostly work, work, work. Yeah. I think most of our social network is used for promotion. Um, you know, and I don't want to speak for them, but it's just, it, it is a lot. Of, you know, this is a time consuming profession. So, sure. um, most of the social media that I do at least is, is promotional and it's posting artwork. You know, like I always tell people if, if you like my work, just follow me on whatever we're both on because I just post work, you know, I, pictures that I'm drawing or whatever. So if you like my art, you know, I, I think that's why you would follow me. Um, and mm-hmm. so that's what I tend to post. Now, have you found yourself um, cribbing comments on whatever uh, in social media 
uh, as to protect your livelihood <laughs> because there are some artists that don't. They'll, they'll go off on something, um, and find later on that it has had a detrimental effect on, on, um, on their, their income. Like, do you, do you watch what you say on the social I watch what I say. Efforts? It's not so much for that. It's more of just like protecting my own values. I try to be as consistent as I can be. Um, you know, whether you're talking to me in person or following me on Twitter or whatever, uh, you know, my interest in all of this is just basically to showcase, to, to be a proponent for my work. And so, right. um, you know, I, and shoot, that's how it should be. Well, right? I don't know if that's how it should be or not. It's, it's how I tend to do it, but I don't think that there's one right way for everybody either. And it's not necessarily the way I'll be a month from now. Um, but it's just how it's been so far. So I, you know, I, I, I don't want to hold back anything. Like I am critical of a lot of practices in this industry. Um, but I also, if I'm going to say something critical, it's not like I'm doing it in a secretive fashion, if that mm. makes sense. And I, no, it, I do like, think it's not one size fits all, you know, like if somebody works, does work for hire, like I have no problem with that. I think that we have access to enough information now that we can all do whatever kind of work we want to do and everybody's situation is different. So I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty easygoing in that way too, because I don't believe there's one right answer for almost any question. Hmm. Okay. Let, let's, uh, kick back on, on the artistic side. How long did it take you to find that, uh, your visual voice? Like, um, I, I encountered a quote today and I forgot where it come, it came from, but it was, um, you know, it takes us so long as artists to, to, to hone that, that, that style, that, that individuality, that, that, um, we bring to whatever medium we work in. And, and the quote was essentially, you know, you've reached that place you want to be when, when, when you can do things you can't see anybody else in the world doing. That's when you find your voice. And, and it, I see that like, like Sholey. Yes, it, it, Kirby was the springboard, but there's nobody that brings to comics what Tom Sholey brings. Because he's such an individual and, and yourself. Like I see a lot of things in your work. You know, there's, there's times where I'll look at a pan and I'll say, yeah, that I can see the clothes influence in that or, or some other artist, but big picture, you step back, your, your work is completely you. Uh, how long did that process take or did you even notice it? Yeah, I'd say it's still ongoing. You know, I think some, some drawings I'm thrilled with and other drawings don't turn out as well as I'd like, you know, so in those cases, like I haven't really found whatever that, that is, you know, that, I don't know, that, that artistic level of quality or success, you know, um, I think it's an ongoing struggle and I think it's constantly changing. Um, somebody asked me recently, like, what, what doesn't influence me? And it's, you know, like the stuff I haven't seen is what doesn't influence me. You know, like at this right. point, mm -hmm. I, I, I can remember in college, I went to college in the late nineties and people would talk about how many images we see in a day. And I mean, now it's like, I must see 10,000 images a day or something, you know, right, maybe more right. than that. I don't even know. So, you know, it's, it's very fluid, that development. I don't know that it ever gets to a point whenever you go, Oh, okay. Um, this is how I want to draw now. Or, you know, I finally have arrived. I've honed my craft to the level I want it to be at. You know, you become aware of, uh, different, different aspects of what you're doing. So, you know, I may figure out how to ink a certain way or how to, work with the comics grid or something 
but at that point you're you're already looking at something else you know like now i need to figure out how to spot blacks better or i need to how, figure out how to color better or you know there's always something like you're just constantly refining and you know depending on where your interest is it dictates what you're looking at and what you're focusing on in your own work so i would say i don't feel like i'm there yet but i'm not sure i'll ever feel like i'm there right i was just going to say it's like running a race and having no idea where the finish line is that's you 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 may have passed it you know 10 years ago and not know it mm-hmm. running's a good analogy for it um you know because like if if you start running it's very hard in the beginning. It may take you a while to get to something uh, three miles a day or five miles a day or whatever your goal is. But whenever you get to that point, it's not like you stop because you're satisfied. You know, if you can run five miles, maybe you want to run eight. You know, whenever you're starting out, if you can't, you know, that first mile is a milestone. Um, you know, so I think art is kind of that way. I don't know that you're ever really satisfied or you know, what are you going to do? Stop drawing? Like, oh, I made it. I, right. I, I can draw the way I want now on to the next thing. You know, <laughs> Jim Lee did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I completely agree about um, the, the images being uh, an influence. I think all images we see on a daily basis are a positive influence. And, you know, some people may be saying, well, why? I don't get it. Um, even stuff you that doesn't click with you, you there, there, there's a an innate sense of, yeah, I wouldn't do it that way. You know, so it is a positive influence in a sense because it's saving you time and in, 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 effort in, you know, teaching you how not to do it or showing you how not to do it. So I think everything we see has a positive influence in a, in a sense. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a viable statement. I have a friend of mine who's, who I admire their opinion a lot has been on a kick lately that we should only be consuming good work because at this point we have access to everything and we also have access to a lot of critical um, you know, dialogue about different art forms. So if you're listening to music, you only have to listen to good music or if you're reading a comic, you know, you know what good comics are and there are more of them than you have time to read. Uh, same with movies or TV or anything. And I don't totally agree. Like I, I like bad work. But it's an interesting idea that, you know, maybe you should be careful what you're reading, watching, listening to and only put in good work because it's going to on various levels affect what you're putting out. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting idea. It's not one that I'm, I'm sure of either way, but it's something that, like I said, a friend of mine has been talking about and it's an interesting idea. Yeah. I think there's an honesty in bad work that you don't get in in what you would consider good work because those people who've produced what you consider good have been doing it for a long time and they've 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 sanded down the rough spots they they've gotten into a groove or they found their voice whatever you want to say where you you'll encounter something that's just obviously bad um and it's i i would argue it's more honest or there's there's honesty there that you can't get from the really good stuff because you you can't fake doing it wrong or 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 being um not the best draftsman in the world or you know just uh, skipping around on the sequentials and and just like wasting time on paper if you knew how to do it the right way you would have done it it's also very inspiring 
You know, like when yeah. I'm a kid trying to make comics, I can look at whatever the top comics are at the, you know, that I, that I have read. I look at those and think I could never do that. You know, I can't, I'm not going to be better than Chris Ware or Jack Kirby or, you know, fill in the blank, whoever's doing really great work. But you come across like some crappy comic or mini comic or zine, and it's very easy to imagine, oh man, I can do work that good. You know, like in a weird way, the bad work is kind of more inspiring. At least I have found it very inspiring throughout my life. No, I get you. Yeah, no, you're, you're completely right. I, I find that myself too. But I just love bad work. <laughs> it's, I, 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 I do. I, the, 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 the French stuff that, that comes out of, uh, my French is bad, uh, like Le Dernier Cree, they do horrifically bad work on purpose. Like there's a lot of those guys that just, uh, you know, it's, there's a nudge and a wink there and I just eat it up. And, and street art, especially. I love that stuff. When you see a guy trying to draw, you know, human anatomy and just failing on every level, it's just, it makes me happy that, number one, at least they're giving it a shot, right? And, and two, it's just, it's just honest. It's, there's an honesty there that I just eat, just eat it up. I think and, as a, as, as, as a person who's not a creator, uh, and more of a consumer of art, I, I'm, 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 on the total opposite end of the spectrum. I, oh, I knew you yeah, would. Yeah, I'm much more in the, in fact, one of the things I love is I, I, is the ability to, to, if I don't find something very good, to just move, move on from it. I, I, and that extends into almost anything I consume, whether it be, uh, I will routinely just drop a TV show in the midst of, uh, give a couple episodes, say, ah, it's not for me and never look back and, and, and certainly we'll do that with comics and, uh, uh, although it's it's never, I don't know that you have to experience the work to decide if it's good or bad, though. So, uh, so it's certainly not it's not something you could ever perfect. I, I certainly failed at it this week because seemingly everything I chose to read this week did not work for me. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And and I would also argue that the the stuff we call bad isn't really bad if we derive some kind of enjoyment from it, like. Plan 9 from Outer Space is typically uh, almost universally derided as a bad movie. Mm-hmm. But I find great joy in that yeah, movie. Sure. I mean, Sharknado I, I, too, I, I right? I was, we were David and I were talking yeah. about yeah. it on the air. It was, yeah, it was, yeah. It's a terrible so, so movie, it, but it was fun. Yeah, but can you – so then there, can you call it a truly bad no. movie if, if it gave – right. I think I, – I, I think you can understand what makes it a bad movie technically – like whether mm-hmm. it's it's the acting or the dialogue or or the presentation, the way it was filmed, just just poorly laid. I think we know what makes something bad, but you can still enjoy bad things. Sure. The thing that gets me is the guys that decree something as bad and expect the rest of the world to, you know, like like your proclamation of this thing as being bad automatically renders. Right, exactly. Yes. Right. That right. bugs the yes. hell. Because, and, and, or, or shaming someone into liking whatever, whether it's good or, whether you think yeah. it's good or bad, <laughs> shaming someone into, like, because they, yeah, in the wake of the Guardians, I know what you're saying. There, there were, there were some people that loved Guardians of the Galaxy so much that anybody that disagreed, they stomped right, them out. Right, right. Or, or the people yeah. who, who appreciate, who, who enjoy Man of Steel. That's not a movie that, that I would enjoy, but if people <laughs> do like it, that then more power to them. I'm not going to take away from their enjoyment of something that I don't particularly care for. I'm not, it's, it's not up to me whether or not they should like something. That, that, that's the thing that gets it. 
who who the hell gave you power over why I should like something? That 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 just and and to shame somebody because they like something, just that 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 completely throws me. I may not see the appeal in something, but that doesn't mean that you enjoying it, it shouldn't exist. Quality is totally subjective. Absolutely. So saying something's good or bad is kind of useless. Yes. Because our definitions You're are right. just completely different. Like it's, right. it, they're words that don't have a common meaning. Yes. Like you show the work of King Terry to somebody, the average comic book reader, show them King Terry's work and it'd be like, that is horrible. No, it's not horrible. It's beautiful stuff. It's just that it may not be tickling the, you know, that, that part of the taint you want it to, but I, I, I take great joy in his work. And, and Gary Panner too. A lot of people, that's horrible. No, it's, it's, it's polar opposite of horrible. Well, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, well, we've had this debate before. It's, it, there's no, no one's going to convince, this is like religion. No one's, I, I think there definitely is, is, you can, you could definitely on many levels say something's good or bad. It, it, of course, there's a subjective element to that, but I think there's also components to, especially commercial art forms and media that are not, that are not subjective. Uh, I, I don't think that, so I, I so I, I guess I'm, again, I'm on the other side of this one, but, but we've had this discussion many times and we're not going to convince each other that our views are right on this. So. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like I, you judge all the time and no one, everyone judges and that's cool. That's what we do as human beings. But the, you, the danger comes in to when you expect your judgment to be received universally from everyone out there. Mm-hmm. That's, that's when you got right. problems. Oh uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So Jim. Yes. I think we had a mullet at the same time. Shit. Oh boy. <laughs> yes. I have I have bad news for you. I never oh. had a mullet. Nice. I didn't you have that that, that one picture of you with the I don't mullet. Think that's, that's him. Not, no, if that's you not look him, closely, man. there's somebody walking behind me. That is me. But the mullet oh, is not oh. mine. <laughs> I am crushed. I am crushed. Please kill me. I had a mega mullet, man. I was yeah, rocking that shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I wish I had that, but unfortunately I don't. Oh, well, that's okay. I still love you. <laughs> Mullet or not. <laughs> <laughs> so when are we going to hear what this one-year project is about? I don't know. Probably not for a couple of months. I want to get working on it fair? before I, I start talking about to, it. Uh, if we promise not to put you on blast. <laughs> How about a clue as to the magnitude of the thing? Are we talking hundreds of pages here? No. I, I just I, – it's it's too early to talk about Okay, okay, that's fair. I'll let you guys know as soon as I do. <laughs> as soon as I mention it to anyone, I'll be sure that it's you guys. All right, Aww. better. So we're, um, you, obviously, Jason and I saw you in, at Charlotte. You were at San Diego. Do you have any other convention appearances this year coming up? Yeah, I do. It's kind of a busy year. Excellent. I will be at, um, SPX September 13th and 14th nice. in Maryland. Um, that's a fun show if you're into indie comics. Uh, that's a cool show. I will be at um, Ape in San Francisco, October 4th and 5th. Um, I've never done that show, so I'm excited to, to check that's that out. Cool. Um, I'll be in Brooklyn at Cab November 8th and 9th, hopefully with a new notebook from Madhouse. And uh, I will be in Wichita November 16th. Which, <laughs> that one sounds interesting. I'm, I've never been to Wichita, so looking forward to it. I think I may come and see you in November because that 
coincides with my study tour in New York. Nice. So it's, yeah, Another I'm going to drop that, that, that without hanging out with us. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not that it'll see us, Jason, but you know, yes. Yeah. <sighs> you know, Deb, you and I should meet in the city for dinner that week while Dave, well, Vince is there just to. <laughs> you go ahead and do that. I'll be hanging with yeah, okay. you. Guys. Have you guys been to Cab? No. 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 Mm-hmm. It is one of the craziest shows. It's in this church in Brooklyn and it's free admission and they open up, I don't know what time they open, but it's like a later show because mm-hmm. you know it's it's not a typical comic book show. It opens and it just completely fills with people. Like you can't move. It's crazy. It's such it's a freaky. an interesting show. Yeah. It's it's pretty good. It's a lot of energy in that room. I've never been to Mocha, I've never been to SBX, I've never done any of those shows. I've been to yeah. well I, I went Mocha's Yeah, I've awesome. been to the Mocha where where I met uh Vince and and, and his girls. But the uh that was the only mocha I think I've been to. I would uh, recommend Cab if you guys are anywhere near New York. Um, it's a pretty unique show. Mm-hmm. I'll be there. All right. Maybe we'll be there too then. <laughs> okay. Maybe you guys will run into each other there. Maybe. We'll try not to then. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> no, I'll be whining and dining. Again. Vince used to come to shows with us. But... Yeah. Back in the day. Back in the day when I was young. Hey everybody! <laughs> you, you've been listening to Eleven O'clock Comics, sponsored by Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you can get your comics. What well, I always say: get them cheap, get them fast, get them delivered right to your door. They are the absolute best. And as Jason said, they have a special little promotional thing going on right now. Jason, tell them moving about that. sale, baby. Know. Help clear out yeah. the stock. They got uh, extra discounts on top of the normal discounts for. Just about all the publishers as they try and uh, clear out some inventory before the big move down to Memphis. So hook it up. Nice. Do that. I'll be doing that. And uh, in your travels, I think there's something coming out from Image that may be slipping underneath the radar. Um, I'm very curious about this project. I haven't been able to secure a copy, but I'm working on it. Um, it's called How Tunes. Yeah, it looks cool. I, I think my kids would love yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's co-created by, uh, Nick Dragota, or Dr- Dragada, sorry, from, 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 from East of West, uh, written by, uh, fearless Fred Van Lenti, art by Titanic Tom Fowler, mm-hmm. and the colors are by Jordi Belair, of course. Um, the gist of it is, um, the parents put the entire family in a suspended animation. There, there's some kind of, apocalypse going on and and the parents lock down the whole family stick them in suspended animation and the kids wake up and the parents aren't there so they have to survive this strange new world without their parents and they do these projects so to speak in order to survive and they're like how to things in comic form this is intriguing. I need to see this. Well, and also everything that they, all the projects that are in there are projects that you can actually do with your kids. That's awesome. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I assume that to be, to be the case. And you know it's going to look pretty. I mean, if it's drawn by Fowler and Belair, come on. Mm-hmm. It's going to be gorgeous. I got to get my hands on this. So check it out. It's from Image Comics. Um, let me know what you think. When does that come out? It, the first issue came out last week. Who, yes. Rick, cool. sir? And I, and like a fool, I didn't pre-order it. And now I'm, I'm running around trying to find a copy. Mm-hmm. Big dummy. Yo. Cool. Uh, in your travels, um, 
go see Guardians of the Galaxy. I will say um, <laughs> there should uh, there are a couple things I've I've read recently which we will get into later. But I do want to um, give a special tip of the hat to Vince who. Um, Oh yes, I know what you're gonna say. I love yeah, you. Yeah, he uh, he he was like, dude, you gotta check that. Well, actually, no, it may be something else you're thinking about. He uh, he he's like, you gotta check this out because it's written by Fred Van Lenthe. and and I know that you know right there you kind of have me, uh, and it's it's put out by it, it, it's Dynamite, right? It's dynamite. It is dynamite, which is like, which, <laughs> yeah. which, I mean, I'm like, huh? So, uh, a little bit of backstory. I was never a big, um, Magnus robot fighter back when Valiant in the 90s had the license. Uh, but, uh, that's probably because Fred wasn't writing it and, uh, and, and the art by, um, Corey Smith. It is is awesome. Dynamite is doing Magnus Robot Fighter. Um, basically, they, they they have a whole they have the gold key line. I've only read as of right now Magnus, and and I am I'm in. I uh, it's oh, I'm, it's so I'm, good. I'm isn't hip it? deep. I just it it looks amazing. It really does. The art is just is phenomenal. But um, so far, I, I haven't seen Captain Victory yet because I'm getting it in my next okay. box. But I would say, as of right now, this Magnus book is by far the best looking thing I've ever seen come out of it, Dynamite. It's, wow. it, there's, um... No, I know that's not a huge, that's not big doings, but I mean, I think there's a sea change going on at Dynamite. Somebody somewhere said, you know what, we gotta shore up the well, I, we Magnus looks amazing. I haven't checked out Turok. I haven't checked out Solar Man of the Atom. I haven't checked out Dr. Spectre. You, you recommended this one to me. Uh, so, so, and be, you, you recommending it is one thing, but, but then you go ahead and you attach Fred to it and I'm like, well, yeah. then, all right. So there's, no. there's really no, no excuse. And, and it is, I, I'm blown away. I mean, the whole, the whole setup is just, it, it's fantastic. The, the, the way it's, you're just, you're dropped into this world and then you're, you're following things along with, with Magnus and, and, and the, I, I got to the end of the fourth issue and I was just like, I, I need to know. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, yep. it, I. And Jason, there's a character in this book that is you. <laughs> It is completely. It is. Dude, it is. It is. You, Holy shit! Yeah, that, and I'm, no, I'm, it is. I'm torn between whether I'm gonna be livid at you for this or I'm You're gonna. Not, you won't no, be, no, you well, won't okay, be. I'll be. I'll, I'll tell you what happened. <laughs> you, you remember? You know the robot that that Magnus hangs around no, with. No, I, I don't. I've H, never read. That. Well, he, H8. his H eight, right, but now he's a, a re, he's remember, scheduled to be. He's scheduled to be retired, so it's H eight R. It's Hater. And he speaks in streets. Oh, that's he's hilarious. You. He's you, bro. He really the, is. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm, I'm telling you. You can't go down that road. It's like, oh, dude, nice. it's <laughs> awesome. Oh. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, it's very, very, right, very I'm good. I was, I'm on it. I was, I was stunned. For real. It was. For real. I, you know, I don't really like to say that because they're hardworking people. Absolutely. It's just that they, they've established a style over the, the broad There's a reason why you're apprehensive. Yes, yes. And I gotta say, I have all of Turok and I have all of Dr. Spectre and they look nice as well. So, like I'm saying, somebody somewhere 
there's a kick in the ass going on at Dynamite, and I'm I'm very pleased mm. to see. And and how could you fault the the Captain Victory? Look at the people involved in that. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed you guys didn't read that ahead of this conversation. Again, it's it's coming it's coming in my box. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, there are lots of things that come in your box. Yeah, and 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 J- J- for those who don't know, Jim is involved in that. Indeed, he is. So, yes. Uh, in your travels, I'm going to recommend something that's uh, timely, but I haven't read recently because everything I read this week. Uh, I don't want to recommend. Um, but this, uh, for all you folks out there that adored the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, um, just, I, I, I think a month ago, if not two months ago, because it's sitting here in my Regina pile, the Annihilation Omnibus was put out. Mm. 880 pages Good that Lord. got all this ish started. If you enjoyed the Marvel, the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, this is where it all got started. Um, uh, I know it, it, it directly draws from, from Abnett and Lanning's fantastic Guardians of the Galaxy series, which I would also recommend. There's a oversized hardcover of that too. But I think you should go back and read this stuff because Annihilation was phenomenal. For it real? was phenomenal. It's, uh, it's, believe it or not, it's almost 10 years old, which is depressing. <laughs> and the there's, and there was no, there was no ongoing that these all attached to. They Correct. were all mini series that yep. just, it was fantastic the way it all yep. played the, out. There was, there was very little and had been very little going on in terms of Marvel Cosmic. Right. And, uh, they, they gave, um, they, they gave basically Andy Schmidt, who was an editor at Marvel of some renown at the time. Uh, he's now gone on to be the founder and, and, uh, CEO of, of the, of comics experience, but, but Andy was a fan of the of the of the classic Marvel cosmic stuff, uh, the Starlin stuff, and and they gave him a chance to bring back some of the characters. So he he tapped Keith Giffen to help craft uh, a resurgence of this stuff. And as David mentioned, it was a bunch of different one shots and limited series. There was a Silver Surfer limited series, a Super Scroll. There was a Run of the Accuser joint. Um, but you roll it all up and you, and you get 880 pages of, of cosmic adventure. That is just phenomenal stuff. It really, really is, is just terrific stuff. Um, the art is wonderful. Uh, you've got everybody from, uh, uh, Kev Walker to Miko Suyin to Gabriel D'Otto, uh, Giuseppe Comancoli, uh, Scott Collins, uh, Mike McCone did, did some of it. I'm pretty sure if I recall correctly. Um, it, it's it just, I loved it. I, I, I genuinely loved it. And, uh, you're introduced to the Nova force here or reintroduced as the case may be. And, and, and Xandar, which again, if, if you all saw this movie, you know, that <laughs> is, that's, that's key. Um, th- this is the first time we get a glimpse of the star Lord that we see in the movie. Mm. Um, uh, certainly the star Lord of the last 10 years is much different than the star Lord we saw in prior iterations of Marvel cosmic. It, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it puts Ronan and Thanos front and center for this generation of comics readers. I I I just adore this. You all know I'm a big fan of the Marvel Omnibus collections in general, but um, but this one in particular. Uh, and another reason to do it is that the the Annihilation stuff was available in three collected editions prior to this, and and one of them was out of print for a long time. So. Wow. Even people that, that, for anyone that didn't want to go binge diving, um, it was hard to read all this stuff. So now you can. So the Annihilation Omnibus, it, uh, so came it's out Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest? 
this uh, the omnibus contains uh, it contains uh, Annihilation Prologue, Annihilation Nova, Drax the Destroyer, Annihilation Ronin, Annihilation Silver Surfer, Annihilation Super Scroll, Annihilation the Nova Corps, uh, the Annihilation Limited series, Annihilation Heralds of Galactus, um, and I, that might be it. Oh, so it's so just fall, no, fall short of so conquest. No, so I guess they're going to have a conquest omnibus. Uh, I uh, think so. Let me see here. Cool. Wow. Yeah. Because I, I was going to ask you if Annihilators was in that, but that comes way later. Yeah, that's not in for sure. But that was good stuff. Yeah, I need to read that. Oh show. yeah, I did. I, I have. I, I finished. I'm current on the um, Bendis. Guardians of the Galaxy run and and Sarah Pacelli's art is just is is Ray Craig. Oh my God, it's jaw dropping. So uh, that yeah. when when I finish that, I've now gone back and have started to read um, or reread because because I did read the first few issues of the Abdent and Landing and Pelletier and Magyar um, Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, and then it, of course it had. The Secret Invasion crossovers and whatnot. So I, I am, I'm, I'm in the process of reading and rereading those issues. And, uh, and it's interesting to see the, the differences between the two teams. But yeah, I mean, Annihilation and, and Conquest are just, I mean, that was, you had, it's, um, Giffen working on that. You just, I mean, the creators on it, it was, and it was so, because it wasn't, the street level or, or Bendis' Avengers or, or whatever else was going on in the Marvel Universe. It was the cosmic stuff. Nobody was thinking about it and, and just had these – it was telling great stories with, with characters you don't get to see too often. And it was it, it, lighting in a bottle, I think. Yeah. Still, though, you bring the spra- Space Knights into it and there's not that three-letter <laughs> dude in there. There's a, it's, I know. I know. Uh, All right. Sarah Pacelli is another one of those artists that does work – for the most part, digitally these days, and it bums me the hell out because I would love to come up with some of that. Jim, what should they be reading? Okay, uh, in, in your travels, you should read um, The Wrenchies by Farrell Dalrymple. Oh, oh yes. 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 Futurist, futuristic um, children's street gang, like in a kind of post-apocalyptic future. It's just great, and uh, I think Farrell's one of the, the best cartoonists working today, and this is, I think, his best work so far. That is yeah, it's beautiful work. Me. I he, um, uh, so you've, you've read, yeah, I haven't read it yet, but I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, he colors it. You know, like he he does everything in it, including watercolor, and um, it's just a gorgeous, amazing book. Like 300 pages of his his watercolor art. It's unbelievable. Amazon is good for I I this I'm sure that this is a work that I will enjoy because of the customers who bought that this also bought link. Customers who bought the Rangies also bought Andre the Giant, Wonton Soup, Black Sad, The Rise of Aurora West. This is all goodness. So I, I have no <laughs> doubt that I will enjoy this book. Uh, it's feral. Come on. It's true. His, uh, you may be, cause his, his art book, um, what's it was called? What was it called? I just read it like delusional. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. that was, that was dope, man. It's, it's it, talk about getting an eye into a dude's process. You need to read the Omega the Unknown thing. Yeah. That's a great my graphic. My son's sitting on my shelf right here. It's awesome stuff. That's Jay Tomio territory. He loves that book. Yeah, there's not many people I would say, all right, pick up the reins after Mr. Gerber because Omega was so personal. But yeah, Farrell did a great job. Great job. 
Speaking of Mr. Gerber, what, what did, and, and I must profess I did not listen to last week's episode yet. What were your thoughts about the, uh, the, the Easter egg, Vince? And that was very cool. It was fleeting though. I wish it was, it was a little bit longer, but I mean, just when he showed up, he was gone, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I, I like the fact that Seth Green did the voice. That, that's, that's fitting. That's fitting. Uh, I, Gunn said, you know, he may show up again. He may not show up right. again. I just, just him being at the end there, the very first, I mean, it's fitting. The very first Marvel character ever to get their own movie. Yeah. Boom. Mm-hmm. And I, and again, you can call it bad. I love that movie. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was great. There's nothing bad about Howard the Duck on the big screen. Come on. So yeah, we, uh, we want to thank Mr. Rugg for enduring us for a couple hours. Thank you for being oh, here. Oh, it was my pleasure. It was a great time. Yeah, we had a great time. And we thank you for listening. And as usual, you can find the next one of these the very same place you found this one of these. And we'll be back because we love you so much. Right. And thanks to, thanks Even- to Jim's recommendation, we, we may be swimming in the dough soon too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll believe that when I see you, but that's cool. We love you guys. Come back next week. Bye-bye. Peace. Thank you, Jim. Later.